0: my only addition to that isn't to disagree with you but just to say that on top of that on top of the very good points you make you've got you've got general brand inertia yeah. which says if there was orange branded bug roll on the shelf at Sainsbury's and it would even go with the Sainsbury's Sainsbury's got an orange logo so you'd think that'd be a natural fit wouldn't you yeah. um, uh, I'd be like well I'm not fucking buying that I mean and what's the worst that could happen you know it's not going to set my ass on fire is it but um, I still. Might, yeah. might put a 5G
1: signal up your arse. <laughs> uh, instead of smoke. As we... <laughs> yeah, blokes. <bro. laughs>
0: Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast. Ian, you, you look like you're about to cough. You're all right?
1: You don't have to hold oh, back. No. I <laughs> am no, just moving my. All right. Moving, adjusting my position. Uh, okay. It's hard work these days. Um, So yeah, today's
0: like one of the few sort of gloomy, not so warm days we've had in about the past month. It's I'm getting quite like oil this week, though, has not it? Uh, you and I are going to Wimbledon next week. Yeah. So we want the weather to be good next Thursday. Yeah. Pierre was just sitting there going, "I hope it bloody rains." Well, <laughs> it rains. The
1: thing is, if we're on Centre Court or Number One Court, it doesn't it's matter. Covered anyway. anyway. Just get the roof up. So, I hope yeah. This, yeah. So I hope
0: just up yours, cancel. <laughs>
2: um.
0: So uh, well, you, well, we'll get to tell you all about it the next day because nah. that's when we're doing the pod, and we've got
3: a guest
1: coming up for that one as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, so be...
3: Thursday was what second, third round? Uh, it's like that.
1: the start of the third round, I think. Yeah, Monday, Tuesday, no, be second, end of second round stuff. It's good. Yeah, second round still, which is a good day to watch things. I think
3: mm, there's so many to there's a lot to choose from. You'll yeah.
1: you'll see big names in it as well, but there's sort of some of the you're gonna see are David Beckham, Kate all the stars. Oh they don't they don't show up till the final. Do you,
0: you reckon we won't get like the the little uh, VIP area and the bubbly like we had at the French <laughs> Open? Oh yeah.
1: Yeah? If they do it like they did it last year, there's a Vodafone lounge that you just hang out in and right. and uh, you you're able <laughs> you're to like compare. You, you're able to um have a few drinks and some food and then you and then you get your tickets and go on to the court. And Coffee. you but you can come back at any yeah, time yeah, to the lounge. Yeah, you
3: got yeah, every step of the way you should be like, Well, Orange did it that way. Yeah,
2: exactly.
1: <laughs> it's a similar it's a similar kind of setup. It's not like a, a a box that leads out onto the actual seats area. So you have to sort of walk from the lounge to right. go to your seats. But Right. It's, um... In fact, talking about that PR, I did um I won't name them,
0: but I was speaking to a representative of another major UK operator, so that fucking whittles it down a bit. Mm. Um and going well i already took us french open vodafone's taking us to wimbledon what, what are you all up to mm, so your customer. i think i think <laughs> if anyone from hr from hr or compliance informer thinks that sounds like <laughs> soliciting a bribe it's not it was just a joke <laughs> although if i did then get a bribe i would gleefully accept it yes. so i guess i'm kind of on the fence when it comes to well, bribery
3: it, it wouldn't be a bribe to just want to talk to you in a different setting exactly yeah, is it, I, is it? I think
1: it's a difficult one in our profession anyway because the whole taking going out with companies over a few drinks cuz what else are you going to do when you're sitting there for hours finding out what they're doing is just yeah. it's just part of the course really. So well, if as long as you're not taking business class flights to go yachting in New Zealand <laughs> I think yeah I what's wrong with that? <laughs> That's too far away. No,
0: I mean p- I, p- only partially joking aside I know like like reading historically has been a bit more US style and strict about like paying its own way and that kind yeah. of thing to ensure complete neutrality, and that all comes from certainly the right with, place,
1: and certainly with advertisers as well, certainly with the yeah. other side, even more so, I would say.
0: Whereas, whereas my approach is take all their bribes and write what fuck I want anyway. Yeah, I mean, and I suppose it does but, leave you open to accusations of, of bias if you if you do state an opinion.
1: It does because the trouble with that is that if you ever wanted to write a positive write-up of somebody, they people would be able to yeah, turn around and say, "Well, there, well then- that's because you got a bribe, isn't it?" And then it becomes harder to defend that yeah. you just thought you just thought it was a good, no, it, a,
3: good, you get a points, good launch announcement. Yeah, you get points because you're disclosing it right now. Daniel. Well,
0: quite. I mean, in in a purist, ideal world, you don't accept anything from anyone. But here in the summer, we're still using Danielle Royston's Yeti. And yeah. They're still doing us proud. And so you could say, but I don't think either of us have ever written something excessively accommodating about Danielle and her position on public cloud. No. So my conscience is clear. But thanks anyway, Danielle. Um, right. What we're we going to chat about this week? We're going to talk about. We're going to start by talking about how Orange has been having a go at banking. And that's not that's not a euphemism or rhyming slang um and uh and now I thought no, nah, perhaps not um so we're gonna start with that, then we're gonna talk about a a big new sort of partnership alliance strategic partnership, I think they're calling it between Nokia and Red Hat over cloudy stuff that I wrote up superficially. You actually listened in on the briefing call, and you basically know ten times more about this than I do. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to represent our audience in a sort of, we'll settle about it then, Ian, right, way, and the then list. you're going to patiently sort of explain all these abstract things and then give me imploring looks while I sit there going, right. So that'll be how oh, that plays right. out. Um, and then we're going to finish off with, it's sort of a Scott Pacino, self-indulgent TM thing. Talking about politics, but not politics in general, like, you know, fat the Tories or whatever. But politics as it affects... Tech and telecoms have been a, a couple of things in the UK, a couple of things in Ireland, something in the States. So There's just a lot of um, political involvement in our space that I'd like to go over and possibly rant about a bit. Mm hmm. Especially it's always, where, always
1: good for a rant. Yeah, especially
0: where it affects things like freedom of speech, which as we know, yeah. is something I have strong feelings on. Um, and just to remind you that if you're watching this on the site or on YouTube or on Facebook, you can also listen to it on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and loads of other podcasting platforms. And I believe, Pierre, it's time to talk about who's been listening to us.
3: as the actual last day of the month. It's yeah, pretty rare when it's...
0: Quite literally. Yeah.
3: Um, although, wait, no, it's already the second... <laughs> Third. Yeah, by the Third. time they listen to it. But <laughs> we're recording this on the 30th. Stop being pedantic. Yeah. Um, we have a trifecta, a podium of uh, British cities. Yeah. Ah, excellent. First one starts with SW. Swansea. SW. Swan, uh, Swindon. Correct. Why is yeah. it always Swindon?
0: Because that, there's that sort of M4
1: corridor. There's a lot of sort of tech. It's it to make me feel like David Brent.
0: <laughs> yeah, Maybe... Yeah. Maybe, I mean, uh, Vodafone, Vodafone's I Newbury. Good, isn't it? Vodafone's Newbury. Maybe that comes under
1: Swindon in, in Pierre's Reckoning. I think in uh, The Office, actually, they had two offices, didn't they?
3: Oh, uh, Swindon and Slough. There was a Slough.
1: Swindon and the Slough office, and they merged, didn't they, at the start of the series. Uh, they caused a lot of the... Remember with Neil coming in and being yeah. his boss, and he thought he was going to get the boss job.
0: And, I remember yeah. one of the many funny bits from The Office towards the end, where I think David Brent got sacked or something, and he goes, I'll be back. Swindon's a big place, <laughs> um, um, but so Swindon is f- far in the lead for some reason, and then yeah, uh, I reckon it's Newbury. I reckon it's Vodafone. Thanks Vodafone, because we've been t- banging on about three to phone, haven't we?
3: Oh yeah, there you go. And then the second and third, uh, very close to each other, Kingston upon Thames and uh, yours truly, Landon. Just Landon in general. Kingston upon Thames has its own operator, doesn't it? That's it. Has its own
1: carrier. Yeah, what's it called? There's, There's a tiny about... one that just does that area, isn't really? there? Oh, I yeah, see. It's quite a bit of an anomaly, I think, like, in the UK. Like the one that does Hull.
0: Well, There's one know. that just does Hull. Yeah. I which, with all due respect to Hull, maybe an I'm... interesting place to specialise in. Yeah, anyway. Um, cool, all right. Well, thanks, England. Hurrah. I mean, it's slightly more fun when it's like Guatemala City or, or fucking yeah. Zanzibar
3: or
1: something.
0: <laughs> I
3: know.
1: Um,
3: Is that World Kingston? No, that's... no, 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 that's No, that's something else. I can't find it, sorry.
1: Maybe I imagined it. Hmm. It's possible.
0: Um, and and we haven't been out and about this week, so we don't need to go on about that. And I, I saw, broke
3: my toe. Oh,
0: and Pierre broke his toe, and you still after, limped in before, anyway, so, so your fair play to Pierre on that one. You, you broke your toe playing football? Yeah. I Was just it one went, of those David Beckham type of injuries?
3: No, I just smashed my foot into some other guy's foot. Uh, uh like you know he just planted it down so he right. just didn't move Right, I mean, yeah Indeed. i kept playing like it was stupid and then i went i went into a trooper e and just to get the picture you know confirm it and then uh, as always they told me like yeah just don't touch it don't do anything right just keep your foot flat oh well yeah well it was all right when you were like cycling and walking in yeah i realized my Parable. foot doesn't move too much yeah
0: cool well, oh i see so it's when you flex the toe. Yeah. Right. i can't flex it at all right know?
3: And it doesn't hurt when I don't do anything, so it's cool.
0: not too bad. Just play to your strengths and don't do anything.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's only six
0: weeks as well, so that's interesting. Oh, what a drag. Yeah. Is that going to get away with summer holidays?
3: That should be just before, yeah. Okay.
0: All right, so let's crack on then. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about the cricket because that's going really badly as we speak.
3: It's still going on.
0: As we sp- Oh, yeah, well, test matches last five days and there's five of them. Oh, my God. Yeah, so it's going to be keep going into August. But to be honest, the way things are going, no one's going to give a shit after this one because we'll probably lose again, and then we'll be 2-0 down, and then it'll be just game over.
3: Do they bother playing the other three?
0: Yeah. Oh. To be honest, historically, when we play Australia, Australia normally beats England. So it's and like
3: it, best out of five?
0: Yeah. Oh. But historically, they go 3-0 up, and then we end up winning one towards the end when they can't really be asked anymore.
3: Oh, Australia's always better? The Australia easier, is though.
0: generally better, yeah. we've We've had a few highlights, but... They're generally better at cricket than us in, in the last few decades. Mm. Certainly the whole time I've been following. The last
1: century. <laughs> More or less, yeah. In, in the time that crickets existed, they're generally better than us.
0: Well, I mean, the whole, the reason that the series is called The Ashes is because when they first beat us about 100 plus years ago, I think it was 18, late 1800s, um, I think the Times wrote an obituary, it was like R.A.P. English Cricket. And then the Aussies joined in the joke and, and, and created this little urn, which apparently cre- um, had the ashes of English cricket or the ashes of one of the bales from one of the stumps or oh, something yeah. like that. People don't
1: know that, so but it's it all... quite quite, kind of quite sad given what's been going on ever since. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, it was, it, I suppose it's slightly tongue-in-cheek, but we've called it the ashes ever since. And it's just celebrating English, England's demise and we're still losing.
0: Yeah, well, bear in mind, you know, like late 1800s, the thought of us losing to some bloody colonials, yeah. you know, that's it was inconceivable. Shocking. And actually, you know, there's been a lot of competition ever since. There's been like body line, where it was quite yeah. contentious at the time to bowl with like bouncers and all that sort of thing. Anyway, um,
1: I don't know what that means. Body lines when you when you sort of you're basically trying to take the person out rather than yeah, make it. yeah. It, it was controversial Bowling because the, were people getting injured. the ball
0: at the body rather yeah. than. Any other way. Hmm. Um, it's contentious at the time. Now it's quite normal. In fact, in this particular test match, one of the reasons we're shit is because the Aussies did it well and we had no counter for it. Anyway, this isn't a cricket podcast, although we could easily start one. I bet you'd love to produce that, wouldn't you, Pierre? Oh
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> to Two listeners. But
1: I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. Charlie would listen.
0: Yeah, Charlie would listen.
1: <laughs> he's, got, he's got kind of mention now about three times in a row, I think, hasn't he? Yeah,
0: he has, he has now. <laughs> Um he got he got some good value from getting that rounded. Yes. <laughs> talking about bribery. Um okay, so let's start by talking about orange. Um you wrote this up and I didn't. Uh yeah. we did cover it, but Mary wrote it up for us. So why don't you start? What what's Orange been up to this week, Ian?
1: So they, they um I mean the history of it is they they basically started a bank off a few years ago. This all goes back to twenty sixteen, I think, when they bought this they bought a majority stake in this little bank called Group uh, armor Group armor Bank which they bought from uh Group is like an insurance company and it had a, a small like a small bank called Group armor Bank and they bought a 65% stake in it so For, um, let's have, a, let's have group, a little
0: go at banking yeah
1: and Group armor retained the 35% of it and um they and then they sort of embarked on this diversification strategy to push into mobile financial services, obviously we've been doing a bit of mobile stuff in Africa, you know, mobile money and all that stuff. Yeah, where it's quite popular. This is very much a French thing, you know, set up a bank in France and yeah. expand it into other countries in Europe. In their and, you
0: point. know, it's worth briefly recapping one of the reasons um, sort of mobile money and stuff took off in Africa is because regular banking uh, is is much less broadly accessible. Yeah. So just bypassing the regular mm. system and going straight to offering financial services as an operator, and made this a lot wasn't more sense in Africa. this
1: wasn't doing that by the way, obviously this was right. um this very was regular a, banking. regular bank and so and why
0: why does Orange need to be involved in red, regular
1: banking well, so I guess strategically they're always looking for new growth opportunities and with there being no growth left in telecom really everybody's, so it's got, that everybody's got a broadband connection everybody's got a phone nobody wants to spend more on on the two things yeah and so if you're
0: we're looking for arpu money, in, in sort of yeah. less conventional if you if you're going to make more money
1: you've either got two options one's to gr- grumble about the internet companies and ask them to pay you some money which is a big debate that's going on in the industry and the other one's to try and find something else to actually do that's useful that you can make money in and they thought the banking sector is ripe for disruption in the same way that telecom was ripe for disruption when the internet companies came along, clearly. And um, Stefan Richard, who was the CEO at the time in justifying this, you know, and executives there and answering questions about why it was a good idea for a telco to become a bank were. Coming out with things like, which made sense, you know, they have, they, they, they're they used to dealing with customers, yeah, customer relationship, very important in retail banking, obviously, and, and arguably they don't do it very well, banks, you know, yeah. I don't think
0: people. And that's often been an argument in favour of telecom diversification, is they have quite an intimate relationship with their subscribers. They do. Yeah. And if only they could offer some some other shit, some other then shit. they could, so here's make the other thing. Go people
1: up. like the idea, I think, although there's an idea that people like the idea of buying lots of services from one source. So like my parents, for instance, have some company called Utility Warehouse that pretty much does all their utility stuff, the energy and the gas, but they also get their broadband through them. I mean, it's obviously on another company's network, but it's this idea of convergence or service bundling is probably a better description of it, you know, but for convenience, just deal with one... Uh, one company that provides a full range of services to you for your various household and life needs. And Orange can obviously play that role. They have a, a huge network of, like any traditional operator, a huge network of shops and stores, you know, in France. And uh, they're places people can go into and talk to staff and, you know, set up accounts. Yeah, And then I think the other thing is they they had this idea that you know they could build this quite whizzy app um like a mobile banking app and make it a bit more responsive and feature rich than some of the ones that were around at the time this is going back to 2016 right yeah so
0: but it's um, still i mean that obviously hindsight's always 2020 but um building good apps is not necessarily a telco totally yeah totally. core competences yeah. yeah
1: so um yeah, what's happened is several years later. After, and we can explain what's what's gone on. But the big news item really this week is that they're now looking to get out of the whole thing. Essentially, they've, they've entered into negotiations with BNP Paribar, um, and which is a regular read, French bank. Yeah, it? and if you read, it's it's a bit of a, a mealy mouth statement, I, I think. But if you sort of read between the lines of it, it sounds like. What's happening is they're looking for someone to come along and take the customers off their hands, essentially, and not not allow them to just not have a banking service anymore. Right. Um, which so implies they, they to have not. a
0: coherent, responsible handover. Is that a
1: handover, saying? handover, of stuff. Which implies they might not even get very much money for this. Right. I see. The only thing that's not, the only like mention of the word takeover in the statement is with regards to Orange Spain, the the Orange Bank Spain part of the whole affair but it sounds like the french side of it really what what they're doing is in, they're in negotiations to support a handover of mm. customers and and also the app itself or at, at least ensure that customers can have an alternative to that that BNP Paribas would provide and that they don't lose access to any of their products and which is and then the and then the, the bullet points at the start of the statement include things like the intention is to exit the retail banking sector completely yeah this doesn't apply by the way to anything that's going on in africa where, right. they, where they've also now upped their game in terms of financial services and they are, they are doing a similar thing with the bank but so this is very much about the european banking stuff yeah and if you and if you sort of think so what's gone wrong between this 2016 acquisition of group palma group bank and what's going on now with these negotiations it just hasn't really gone anywhere you know? mm. and and the writing's probably been on the wall for a little while i mean they had some Comments coming that some news stories coming out and statements published back in twenty twenty one when they were looking to um to do a capital increase and group Arma, the insurance company didn't want to participate in that and they ended up taking full they couldn't find other investors basically another partner to kind of replace Group Arma that clearly just wanted to get out of it all and ended up taking over full control and pumping another two hundred and thirty million euros into it and then there were reports I think in the French press last year about them engaging a bank there to try and find interested parties you might be willing to come over and, and buy it and it sounds like they're now at the stage of just trying to get rid of the whole thing and yeah may, maybe not get anything at all and you look at the stats i mean i went over the the metrics because they are published in the the annual reports obviously um i mean the customer numbers so right, i remember interviewing the guy who was actually in charge of the whole thing at the time when they um first talked about all of this and he was like well we've done a survey right and the third of our customers in France, which was about, at the time, about uh, 27, 27 million, I think, um, have, have expressed interest in using Orange for banking purposes, if we were to provide a bank. So you think, okay, that's about 9 million potential subscribers, not to, not to sort of, you know, um, that's ignoring Spain and other countries in the footprint where they might want to roll out the service as well. So Sorry. Orange
3: has 27 million subscribers?
1: 27 in Fra- yeah, in France,
3: yeah. Damn. It's like forty percent.
1: Well, there's only, they're the only fixed. They're the only. Um, they're a bit like BT, aren't they? You've got other fixed line operators using their network, and you've got a few companies that are built, building out their own fiber. But
3: I still, I was, I'm surprised. It's impressive. Well, that's that's
1: mobile and fixed. You know, right. that's sort mm. of customer numbers. Yeah. Wow. So, did you did you think someone like I
0: mean, SFR or yeah, Breek, like my mom is SFR but, for example?
3: Right. Yeah, my my
0: but, is not but
1: orange, what's either? the population of France? Seventy million. Yeah, like 68. Yeah. 70 million then, so it's not... Yeah. There's, only, it's, there's not 10 providers in France, is there?
3: No, 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 yeah. it's still like,
1: wow. So... Sorry. So, so you think sort of... Ni- <laughs> Carry on. Ni- ni- 9 million people potentially as subscribers, but and then, and then you're thinking about what they could do in Spain and other, and other countries in the region. Well, the whole thing, which I think is really only France and Spain, is where, the, where it's actually been rolled out today, or end of March, is 2 million which is not very good, really. And they even had a target... That's what, I think, number it, of customers? Number of customers, yeah. Uh, they've clearly missed their expectations on... Yeah, well, on I think
0: you take. might be about to say this, but um, I noticed from our reporting on it that we link back to something Jamie wrote in December 2018, headline, Orange Plans Banking Profitability by 2023. Well, here we are.
1: Right, so on profitability, yeah. um, so I went through all the, um, the, the, the accounts that you can dig out of there. I can't remember what they're called, registration documents. They're called their annual reports are really hard to find or just proper annual reports, really? like the whole thing. Yeah. And they've lost, since they launched it, they've lost 1.025 billion on it is that is the total operating losses. Woof. Um, like netting net banking income is how they measure, you know, the, the, it's just never really sort of... Yeah. They're, they're, the targets that they announced, I think, back in 2020, or 2021, were for the end of this year, They were going to have 5 million customers. And this is probably a downgrade from what they were previously expecting. And, you know, as Jamie wrote then, they were expecting it to be profitable. It's still, last year, it was a 200 million um, operating loss. One
0: thing that only Um, just occurs to me now, because I was thinking, is banking a great sector to want to get into anyway? You know, you used to think it was a license to print money. It's become quite dicey through a combination of sort of macro turbulence and, and regulation and all that sort of thing. And certainly in the last year, in this inflationary environment seems to have been bad for banks. We keep hearing about how, what was it, Credit Suisse and even yeah. Deutsche Bank having a nightmare.
3: The Silicon Valley.
0: And Silicon Valley Bank and and that other one, Signature. yeah. Um, so there's been a lot of that, which all seems to have been linked to inflation and overexposure to the bond markets in ways that I sort of understand when it's explained to me and then I un-understand but I, it but I as soon as you, I stop thinking about it. It's by it,
3: design. Yeah.
1: Yeah. In their case, it seems to be simpler than that, though. I mean, just failing to attract very many customers. And a two, 2 million across France and Spain, is that's a figure for the whole of Europe, Orange Europe Bank. Yeah, it's not a lot, is it? 2 million. At a time, as I say, this guy back in... 2016 was saying a third of our customers in France have expressed interest. Um, you know, by 2020, they're, they're talking about wanting to have 5 million customers by the end of 2023. Well, they were clearly going to miss that target, weren't they? Because yeah. it's grown by it's grown by 400,000 in the last two years, yep. the number. So they just haven't attracted customers. And I'm thinking what? I'm thinking, Stefan Richard clearly underestimated how hard it would be yeah. to go and disrupt the banking establishment. And the point you made, I think, is a brilliant one about the app. Like the, the app I use, I don't know who you're with, but I use Smile as a bank. And their mobile app is is excellent. It's better than the app. I hate to say it, BT, but it's better than the customer services yep. app. And, and I will BT say the same
0: others. for my, I use Lloyd's and their app is better than the EE app. Right. So I mean, the EE e app isn't bad,
1: but it's a bit, it's just a bit clunky. It's a bit slow. It's clunky and slow. It, it's yeah, it's not responsive. It's
0: the the UI to to has things. improved a little bit because I have to use it because I've got that thing set up where I buy a shitload of of um, data yeah. and then I have to gift it to the rest of my family. So I have to use it at least yeah. once a month. And just often
1: it's just a bit slow and clunky. Slow and clunky. And and the other thing is, like you just said, you don't need to be a... I think there's this assumption that because we're a telecom operator, we're a tech company, we're more like a tech yeah. company than the bank is. Banks hire software people, yeah. Yeah, and they can pay them a lot of money. They can build mobile apps just as well as a as a telecom. Well, that
0: is that that is the broader yeah. issue. This, this is this is just one in a sequence of sort of quixotic attempts by uh, operator op opcos to diversify into areas which they don't have a core competence. They obviously they chuck a bit of money at it. I mean, they didn't just lose a bill because they were doing fuck all. Yeah, uh, they chuck a bit of money at it. But what really interests me, I think we might have discussed this back, you know, when we were getting presentations by Vodafone, how they're moving from being a telco to a tech co and all that sort of thing. And I don't, and last I checked in, they, I don't know if they're struggling, but I don't think they'd, they'd they got a long way towards their target of geeks that they were going to hire. Um, well, and
1: also, I suspect that strategy is now under review anyway, given they're trying to get we'll rid yeah, of that 11,000 people. Do you know I mean? Yeah,
0: that's a really good point. Um, but, you know, there is, it's that cultural thing. I think it's really hard. You know, I found it very interesting for the last nine years working for a, a FTSE 100 company and, and just observing how, how do you institute change in a company this big? You know, and we've got this... this you, do, you do training courses. <laughs> yeah. Let's not go there, we'll get in trouble. <laughs> um we were just talking before we started. There's a bunch of training courses we're supposed to have done by the end of the month. And so there's been a bit of a last minute rush. <laughs> but you know, but yeah, that's there. I mean, I I'll be the I'll be the first to admit those training courses, without getting into them individually, um, are a bit um sort of one size fits all. Yeah. Um but I suppose they have to be. When you've got a big company and then you've got certain boxes you want to tick, then you're gonna you're gonna get this this sort of cookie cutter approach. But anyway, I don't want to talk about it, that so much as just observing how do you, how do you make this super tanker change direction. Um, and there are all sorts of processes, and there's all sorts of layers, and there's people um, uh, involved. And, I, and I've got an appreciation of it because you can't just send an email going, just fucking do this. Because people will do it for a week or a month, and then they'll revert back. Actually, instituting this this full on change within a large organization it, it isn't straightforward because a lot of culture we're, we're not even necessarily consciously aware of. Yep. It's just there. But culture, you could say, often is is just a form of collective mental inertia. You know, and and you'll just there'll be certain things that you'll instinctively push back on. You you're not even sure why. You just know that when they're suggested, you're like, no, I don't know. fucking look at that. Yeah. Um, so, and I think that applies to di- diversification and I stress here we're talking about diversifying into different areas, not diversification as increasingly as a way, which is talking about d e i and all that stuff yeah um you know how how do you make a company that's entirely geared towards selling minutes and megabytes and handsets um how'd you get them into selling other concepts like financial services or or whatever um and it's always happened i always talk back like 20 years ago to vodafone 360 oh yeah i should let's let's i've got to find which one um, of the colder ones out of these
1: i mean Uh, i think the the um you know they they, the things that they had on their on their side in doing this that that stefan richard talked up like the, the the customer relationships and the and the and the store and the stores and the you know ability to bundle things with the, the banking service that that they're providing were all very well but what they didn't have I mean the cultural stuff's really interesting yeah uh, but they also didn't have all that ex- all that expertise and experience I mean if anybody comes along and goes yeah. well, we're going to go into telecom and we're going to build a network well that's part and of they're quite good at going ho oh, oh, ho oh, you don't really know how hard it is to build a telecom network you've got no experience at all yeah. and then they go and laugh at people like Rakuten and you know, and others who attempt to do it and find it really hard and expensive. And it's like, well, you know, that's, that's why we're well, so
0: good. Well, your, your point about personnel and culture overlaps because you can you can buy expertise. Yeah, you can. Um, but then... But they're you, not in a good
1: position to do that.
0: <laughs> well, there's that. So there's that. But presumably part of this bill that they've um, got through is buying that expertise. But then you've got a group of people who do know what they're talking about, helicoptered into an organisation that doesn't. Yeah. And it's not that easy. I mean, like, one little thing I brought up a few times. It's not necessarily a good example, but one we have personal experience of in terms of, like, um, integration after MA. So, like, Light Reading was bought by Informer in 2016, and we both have experience looking at it from opposite sides of the fence. Yeah. Of how, you know, it's not necessarily straightforward to have what was a standalone small company suddenly within the framework of this large company. Yeah. You know, Obviously, all your all your cultural inertia and all your relations are, are going to be geared towards continuing to interact with each other. Yeah. You know, Steve, Ray, um, John Keller, all that, all those people, Joe Donnelly were there at the time. Um, and, and it doesn't happen overnight that suddenly you're interacting with the rest of the company. No, it doesn't. And that's yeah. no one's fault.
1: Well, I mean, It's just inertia. It's been a really long process. Yeah. So, and it's probably not worked out the way it was all supposed to have worked out anyway. It's worked out in a different way. Not necessarily saying it's better or worse, but ultimately. But yeah, but yeah, it's,
0: yeah, I don't think I don't think Plan A in 2016 has necessarily been borne out.
1: No, um, but the yeah, I just think that it's a bit, it's kind of a bit sad in a really in a way I think because one thing that occurred to me is given these parallels that he obviously saw between running a telecom operation and running a bank, and there are some I agree with him. Yeah, if they, they can't the, the if intimate they, customer relationship. Totally, yeah, and um, the
0: regular the regular. I mean, they could probably be fooled into thinking because they have a regular commercial interaction with subscribers, that that translates to a banking one. Sorry, I butted in, but no, no, that's one thing that occurred to me.
1: But yeah, totally. And and, um, and and it being one of those must-have services, you know, everybody needs a bank in the same way they need a, 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 a telecom service and there's a convenience factor of getting it from one place, you know, and all that stuff. You sort of think if they can't make a stab of it there... You know, and then you've seen what's happened with other ventures into adjacent industries, let's call them like T V, which has been a disaster really, I think, on the whole for,
2: for yeah, telco. All of them. And we spoke I mean, nobody's done times.
1: a good job of that. I think Orange actually got out got out of some T V assets not that long ago, I seem right. to remember. Last year. It or earlier Plus, this year. Was there was some stuff it sold on the T V side. I yeah. mean, you know,
0: but compared to AT and T, which is the daddy, AT and is the one that's the total on that disaster.
1: One. But BT's had this, you know, it's yep. spun off its stuff and and into discovery and all. That. It's none none of them have really made made a success of that. And no. that's that's an area where you, you at the time I remember writing about this when I first got into um, telecom journalism and i was working with ken Wheeland, who's now one of our freelancers at horizon house and we were spent a lot of time writing about iptv you know and what the opportunity was for telcos yeah. and you sort of thought well, yeah this is an area we can see them doing quite well yeah if they get their, get their act together and they didn't and you kind of and think you can see the the, the perceived
0: synergies, you can like, see the synergies like you know you totally, we we, we yeah. provide the pipe into the house why don't we provide what goes through the pipe
1: yeah sort of thing completely and i sort of think if they if it's that hard for them in these areas then if you think about things that are a little bit more challenging and a bit more out there where they have to really kind of adapt culturally and they have to acquire some new expertise how are they going to get on with that you know um i mean one thing one interesting thing i think about this banking failure is i wonder these days um whether people do want to buy all their stuff from one single provider you know this yeah. this, this feeling that they've had the bundling is you know you get your mobile you get your broadband now you get your banking maybe you get your energy and, and, and that might appeal to some people but you know telcos themselves don't want to be overly reliant on one supplier for too many yeah, things well, and it's that'll it, come up it, in it our next segment that, as well customers sort of feel the same way
0: yeah and perhaps. i think I, <laughs> i'm thinking as a customer i think most customers do some kind of total cost of ownership calculation yeah um, you know, if it, even if it's just the proverbial back of a fag packet, they'll have some instinctive sense of, you know, like one TCO thing that always um, used to come up uh, is um, you get a, a phone on a um, pay plan. Um, and so you pay sixty quid a month for an iPhone for two years. Um, and so that's that's obviously two thousand four hundred. No. And I don't know, fuck that maths up. What is that? Sixty times twenty-four um, is about fifteen hundred quid. Yeah. Um, and and the iPhone itself costs nine hundred quid. Um, and so you can do you can do that sort of back of fag pack. It doesn't
1: work out as well as actually buying it. Yeah, is, it doesn't it?
0: work out. And and I think some people might increasingly do what I do, which is I always buy SIM free. Yeah. I mean, bear in mind that this is where we have to thank uh, as someone who who is sort of a light-touch regulation person instinctively, here's an example of where regulation's been good. Because operators used to be able to lock phones, didn't they? They did. So that you couldn't stick another operator's SIM card in your phone. Yeah. Uh, and there'd be, whole, there'd be whole little secondary services of unlocking phones and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Now you can't do that, and I think that's thanks to regulations. Probably thanks to the EU, which I say through clenched teeth. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and so now, obviously, the smart thing to do is to buy a SIM-only contract... And then get your phone from whatever, either direct from the provider or second hand or whatever. Um, and so, yeah. But I think the reason I was going off on that TCO tangent is if they could demonstrate that that the TCO for getting your tel- telecoms, your banking, your telly, your utilities, your fucking bog roll, whatever all from this one place is is lower yeah. than getting it separately then i think that would be a compelling argument but just saying oh it's easier than shopping around i don't i think as you say yeah. people want to shop around
1: they want to shop around i don't i, I think I mean, one thing it does, and I think this is, maybe customers have worked this out actually themselves, is it creates stickiness. I hate these words. Yeah. It creates stickiness, which means basically it's much harder for you to shift because yeah. you've got, you've got to find alternatives. In other words, other. it makes you easier to exploit. Yeah, exactly. totally. And I think people go, well, actually, I don't want to be in a position where I've got 10 different services that I've got to find suppliers for if something goes wrong with this one or I'm suddenly unhappy with them. I've got this real problem on my hands. You know, people aren't stupid. They work this stuff out after a while. Um you know operators themselves are going on about this so why shouldn't their own why shouldn't their own customers feel the same way um and i i just wonder whether this convergence thing it's been a big deal in Europe over the last few years this idea of having at uh, the very basic side of the very basic um you know before you start talking about things like energy and banking and, and services that have nothing to do with telecom it was always about getting your broadband and your mobile from the same provider really yeah and i'm not sure it's been done very well to be honest No. With you. i mean i'm I, I hate doing these personal, like, which magazine type hit stories, but, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because I'm a BT subscriber, and I'm also an EE subscriber, and I don't have a bundled service. No. I don't have a... You get the two of them together, and and it, you'd think that the company themselves would, would look at what's going on with well, me. Well, famously, last time... And try and make some offer to me to... Yeah, well, to, it's to famously, to when I last went into uh, a BT slash EE shop, the
0: sales system was very helpful and took me into... I'm not going with EE for my broadband anymore. I'm going back to BT because I get a better deal. Right. So it and how long has it been since they
1: merged? Like eight
0: years. Yeah, and they still use. Still haven't got their story straight. Into, yeah. you know, I mean, but, but so then it, that's another illustration. Back oh, I was saying about the difficulty of integration. It
1: is difficult, but I think nowadays you think. I mean, 2016, by the way, is when BT bought EE. Right. So uh, this is a long Seven time years, ago yeah. now. That's a long time in the bigger scheme of things. I mean, seven years' time we're supposed to have six G, yeah. Yeah, so,
0: I'd I barely had any you know, grey hair back then.
1: Yeah, exactly. So there's a, there's a, there's a measure of it, and <laughs> and you think that in that amount of time that they've been able to. Everybody knows probably even the, you know even the man on the street who doesn't really pay much attention to telecom now probably knows BT and EE is the same thing because it's even on their. One thing they have done is put it on the shop windows, haven't they? The yeah. stores it says BT EE. They're almost using that as the brand. BT BT yeah. So why, are they, why can't they do things in a slightly more joined-up manner and, and get yeah, rid of some baffling. of the separate branding? And you'd, you'd have thought that was one thing that Philip Janssen might have sorted out. He wasn't the guy who bought EE, e., but you thought he might have come in and and, tried to, and tried to figure that out. And, and he doesn't seem to... It doesn't, I don't see signs of much progress apart from what I see on the shop window fronts um, to, no. to, to change that.
2: Uh, no,
0: other than that, I'm, you know, I'm generally happy with my service with both. Uh, s- switched to fiber and that was done well they did fuck up the first open reach appointment uh, they just didn't turn up Actual yeah um, glass
3: but- fiber or copper
1: what?
0: no mate you, you're at your depth there <laughs> fiber fibers, there's only one kind of fiber and that's, that doesn't involve copper
3: there was a fiber that I had before that was maxed at 120 megs and now I have a fiber yeah. that was maxed at maybe, 3 gigs maybe what you had
0: was fiber to the cabinet and then copper for the last mile the last bit yeah Probably. Yeah, that's what I got there. Yeah, Yes, yeah. yeah, so that's what I meant by copper. You know okay, I mean? all right. I thought you were just making a dick of yourself for no. a sec.
3: As in, <laughs> all the fiber, these years of listening to us bang know, on about it. When you get a like, the separate extra box in your home. That's that, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have that?
0: Yeah, I do have oh, okay. that
3: now. Yeah, although, funnily enough, the
0: fiber is, is through a pole, it's not through the ground. Yeah, same for me, yeah. Um, but yes, so I think that's what you were talking about is something, and, and there's there's been lots of um, contentious stuff about how they advertise and describe these things. Because fibre to the cabinet, you know, you you, you basically is, you're only as fast as your shittest technology. Yeah. So it's, you could have fibre all the way to your doorstep, but if the last bit's copper, that's going to slow it the fuck down.
2: Yeah,
1: it's like fibre up to well, here, and then hundred people better than having share. copper the whole distance. But yeah, okay. Yeah.
0: So there will be yeah. some proportionate. But it, but it, but it to the, the slow amount. Again, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so you're talking about full fiber and, and so that's all good. Um, and I'm happy with my contracts, um, and, and the savings I get through, uh, gifting and all that. Um, so I yeah, think on brilliant. the whole, yeah, on the, on the whole, they, they do it well, but I completely agree with you. And, and let's not forget this segment's more about orange, but the reason we went off on this tangent, is just to do with, with just trying to do things a bit differently. Yeah. And it, it just seems to be incredibly difficult for them to do it i don't quite know why i mean there's a whole industry about change management and management consultants and all that sort of stuff yeah but it yeah it just doesn't get done you'd think they could just go all right let's just make sure that our best broadband deals are bt our best mobile deals are E. obviously we don't have bt as an mvno anymore
1: do we um and that's that yeah I mean, not- the, the, the one, the other ones that I'm aware of on this sort of diversification stuff. I think there's a there's a, a couple of companies in the form in the, the former Yugoslavian uh, area that do. Maybe it's parts of Telekom Austria. I don't know. Maybe I've got that because they they have um, subsidiaries there, but that they, they do they've gone into sort of energy game. Right. And I don't know how that's worked out for them. And then in North America, um in Canada, you've got TELUS, which does things to do with healthcare. That's right. And I think they've made quite a success of it. But I don't know how much that's to do with organic growth or just buying stuff and then all of a sudden yeah, ch- sk- well, you've got you,
0: you, because- you the room a we chatted get a chance to get to that lady was It get
1: a this year or a year before it was uh, and no, that was a TELUS lady it was talking neither. about. You what? It was It was neither. Oh. It was last year in... Digital Transformation Digital World. Transformation there we World. Go. And it was um, um, a bearing point beyond. There we are. Yeah. To give the company their... Um, their and view. they introduced
0: us to this lady from Telus. She was talking about the healthcare stuff. I think there was yeah. a fair bit of m a involved in that. I think this is, this
1: is the thing. So I I spoke to um, James Crawshaw at Omdi a little bit afterwards. And he was like, yeah, well, it's not like... See, Orange, what they did is bought a small business that really wasn't that significant at all. I mean, I'd, I don't know how many customers Group Armor Bank actually had when they came in. Which obviously the higher it is, it makes the two million look even more shit. But yeah. um... Yeah, If they've
0: actively (laughs) lost people, I mean, they haven't lost
1: people, but yeah. But um, but yeah, the I mean, I think what uh, Telus has done is gone in and bought, bought big big healthcare stuff that yeah. was actually quite established and making a lot of money. So
0: healthcare is one of the least intuitive ones. Like energy, I can see because telecoms is to some extent a utility. Mm. So you know, there's all sorts of areas where you can see the telecoms business Venn diagram overlaps with other bits like content, like yeah. other utilities. Uh, like, like even banking. I think banking is one of the ones that's a bit less intuitive. It's a bit less, but
1: I can see there being, uh, I hate the word, but synergies. Yeah, because you've got certainly you don't have to if you're going into the banking sector as a new entrant. It's like well we have to make all this investment in infrastructure. Well they've already got the branch equivalents of yeah. you know with their their stores that they have throughout France. Yeah, so so, presence, so you yeah. save a lot of money on things like that. I mean they they might even have had a had a bigger presence than the, the little Group Armor bank that they bought. I don't know, but. Quite but they, but they had things that, that yeah, that, that you could see there were sort of overlaps, and certainly being able to upsell it, as they say, to your customer base. You've got this big installed base of twenty-seven million people or whatever that you that you're serving in in France. That you can go out and say, you know, do you want to come and take a banking service from us as well? Mm. Sounds like they should have been able to have some success, but but I just I I think they they, they obviously just underestimated how the banks would respond to some extent and, and underestimated how hard it is to acquire banking expertise, perhaps. I mean, I don't... There's a lot we don't know. This, this well, those, story might out. If you think about it out, from
0: a branding you know, and marketing point of view, you think of something like Lloyds Bank, who I bank with. And yeah. I, only, I picked them when I was a student because my mum was with them. Yeah. And I didn't really give it that much thought. But Lloyds Bank has been hammering us with Black Horse messaging and branding and imagery yeah. for our entire lives. Yeah. So we know... Lloyds Bank, Black Horse. I mean, what that has to say about banking is another matter. Would you buy a telephone service from Lloyds Bank? <laughs> well, there we go. But but well, as a brand, because I find I find branding really interesting. Like, like, we can do like, that too. Like you think about when you go to the supermarket and you think you, and you're going to buy anything. Yeah. there'll always be a branding implication. You're going to buy. Let's say you can't be fucked to make your own pasta sauce. Yeah, Dolmio is the market leader as far as brands go, or or Bogroll, Andrex or whatever it, I, I find branding fascinating because it's so arbitrary and yet it's really
1: really pervasive like I always buy Andrex I don't know why I don't know if it's better bog roll but here's that's an interesting point though because with something like that like with bog roll if someone else came along and they were yeah tried to God, bra- uh,
0: orange uh, bog roll <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I'd be, you'd be less worried about buying it, would you? Because it's bog roll, right? If you don't like the first time you try it, oh, I'd be
0: offended. It. But if it's on the shelf, let's say because a lot I mean, of it is toilet paper, just for American yeah, yeah. 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 So bog toilet, roll means but toilet but paper. If you got,
1: toi- if you got a new toilet paper, if you saw orange and gone into doing yeah. toilet paper, and you bought you'd you'd be but tempted. But wouldn't to- buy it. Yeah, no, but well, all I'm saying is, I think this is one of the problems with going into banking. And the question about, would you buy a telecom service for, from Lloyds? I'd be more likely to get a telecom service from Lloyds right. than a banking service from BT. Right. And here's to your point about all the troubles that banks have had in the last few years. People are worried about bank runs, about banks going out of right. business. Right. You, know, you, you saw what happened a few years ago, not very long ago, 2008. Yeah, bank, your rock. banks is your money. Right, I want a mortgage with Norton when, Rock. When you put your back, your money somewhere, you want that person that you've put your money with to know exactly what they're doing. If if, that, if, so, if you take a telephone service out, especially if it's one of the internet companies companies coming along, as they probably will in a few years time, and function as MVNOs, and and they'll probably say, "You can try this for a month, and if you don't like it, forget about it." You'd be prepared to try it because if all, if all, uh, you know, the worst, what's the worst that can happen? You drop a few calls or something. Yeah. What's the worst that can happen with a bank? your money's gone. Yeah, right. Totally. They're, they're, they're some complete cock that you have to have a very trusted relationship, I think, with a customer as yeah, a bank. I hear, and I, hear you and, and I, I think it. that branding with the banks is really important because even though we might loathe the banks and we nobody really likes them, we sort of at the same time we accept that they kind of know what they're doing to a certain extent. Yeah.
0: And all the <laughs> and, sure and, and you look me. at all the marketing that like building societies do like halifax and nationwide it's all very touchy-feely we care um you know we know that you're feeling a bit skint, and we and we care yeah which of course they don't yeah but that's their that's their marketing yeah that's their branding
1: whereas, whereas a tv service or a or bog roll or drinks or food mm. or something else is less critical isn't it so
0: I, less... I i totally take your point and and my my only addition to that isn't to disagree with you but just to say that on top of that, on top of the very good points you make, you've got you've got general brand inertia, yeah. which says if there was orange-branded roll on the shelf at Sainsbury's, and it would even go with the Sainsbury's, Sainsbury's got an orange logo, so you'd think that'd be a natural fit, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, uh, I'd be like, well, I'm not fucking buying that. <laughs> I mean, and what's the worst that could happen? You know, it's not going to set my arse on fire, is it? But um, I still... Might, yeah. might put a 5G signal up your arse. <laughs> Instead of smoke, as we... <laughs> yeah, blokes. <blowing smoke. laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so 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 for various reasons, I think you know the broader issue we're talking about is attempts to diversify and why it's so difficult. And there are reasons to do with corporate and cultural inertia. There are reasons to do with branding inertia. There are reasons to do with um, core competence. And basically, the, the whole telecoms industry, for which this story to do with Orange is just the latest example. I think on the whole in terms of value for shareholders, if no operator had ever tried to diversify ever, their shareholders would be better off on aggregate. Probably. If they just fucking sat there they and made their was. piece of the yeah. fact that they're basically a, a sort of slightly poncy utility. Yeah. Um, and that's that, because I'm pretty sure that a net, you look at Orange, you look at BT, AT&T, you look at Vodafone 360, you look at all these things, you know. Verizon bought AOL and Yahoo, and all that silliness. If if they all, it's, I think it's got to be all a net negative for I the mean, shareholders of telcos.
1: The problem with the shareholders of telcos is that when, when you know, twenty years go back twenty, a bit more than twenty years, late nineties, early two thousands, um, the telcos were perceived to be the companies. That were quite high tech. That Those were very high companies. tech and, yeah. and very sexy. And, the, and one of the reasons for that was was three G coming. Was broadband and three G yeah. coming along.
0: So this is like turn of the millennium.
1: And the absence of a Google or an Amazon or a, um, a, the other one, the Netflix. Certainly in the world. form
0: that they are now. There was this yeah. huge
1: vacuum there, and there was a, a. I mean, I remember working on the business plans in my former job for this stuff, where they were saying, you know, if you if you do this well. And you win this three G license, and you roll out these new services. The people they were talking about all the kind of things. Some of the stuff was quite. Uh, looking back on it, giving credit to the people who put a lot of this together, was quite visionary. Actually, they were talking yeah. about things like video conferencing and TV on your phone, and all this stuff. And it's all happened, but it's not been driven by the telcos, unfortunately. Yes, and and they were they were told that they could do it, and there was an opportunity for them to do it, and they tried to do it. And you said you mentioned Wall Gardens earlier on. You know, they they went about things in a. I'm not saying I'd have got it any better, by the way. I'm not saying I'd have got it right, because it's it's, yeah. it's it's not easy to do this stuff. Maybe no, it well, takes the disruptor to come along, you know, and, and get it right. But
0: Yeah, and, th- and that and that feeds into something I want to say, and then in, unless you have any other stuff that you want to add on it, I'll I'll move it on just in the name of time. Just being at the I always find it fascinating to imagine what it's like being at the top table when they come up with a new strategy. Because I suspect a lot of the time, and again, hindsight's twenty twenty. I don't want to be too like, well, that was obviously a shit idea after it's failed. Yeah. Um, that I I just wonder what kind of information and cultural environment sometimes these decisions are made in. You can imagine all sitting there. You know, by definition, the people in there are living a sort of rarefied atmosphere. Because if you're, a, you know, if you're at a top table of a FTSE one hundred company you know, you're not living in a fucking council house in South East London, are you? Probably not. Um, so you're already, you're already in, in, in a sort of uh, niche sort of demographic and then, and then you've got people around you. You've probably got a lot of the people who report into you. Well, while they might not be sycophants, they're certainly not going to go, you're talking shit, mate. You know, so you're going to get some, at the very least, quite diluted dissent. Um, and, and then you can get this sort of echo chambery thing. And then you've got the, the, I think slightly perverse incentives of people who are senior exec, <coughs> which is to be seen to be doing something strident and overt, like a big bit of A or yeah. a big strategic move. I don't think you get a big bonus or you don't get invited to Davos or whatever, just by keeping the ship on an even keel and not fucking anything up. You have to roll the dice every now and then. Yeah. And so there's there's all these, and I'd just love to be in the room when they go. All right, you know, like with Orange on this one. You know, all right, you know, here we are. We're we're a former state monopoly telco. We're doing all right in France, much to Pierre's surprise. Um, uh, but you know, how can we take it to the next level? And then someone goes, "Bonking," <laughs> uh, and they go, and they go, "Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Why not?" Who says only only you know sock gen or whatever can do banking? Let's start a car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Orange car. I mean, I, I would respect uh, them more if they got into like orange juice or something orangey. You
3: know, orangina.
0: Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, orangina. If they bought orangina and just started having this, uh, there'd be more. There'd be more brand synergy, more sort of intuitive brand synergy from orange to orangina to orange juice to. Uh, isn't there a region in South France called Orange or something like that? And they, they just, yeah, I think it's like towards Cote d'Arona or something like that. Mm. Um, anyway, but, you know, that, I'm being a bit facetious, but I just love to be in a room when they come up with these things because sometimes you figure
1: that they would just all get pissed and just go, well, I mean, let give this a go. I think that's a journalist' dream, isn't it, to be in a boardroom at some times? Yeah. Because if you're hiding a cupboard during some of the boardroom conversations, you, you don't—you get massive scoops, wouldn't you, clearly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go and lock yourself in a car. Can you imagine writing it it up? Ah, yeah.
0: I mean, Uh, you wish sometimes they'd let you get in there and then anonymise it. Let's say there's 10 people in the boardroom. Yeah. You get to write out what's said, but you don't attribute any of it. So there's a degree of deniability. Well, some of
1: this stuff... Let us do that, anyone. We'll do that. I promise you we won't give individual names. Some of this stuff probably comes out in those sorts of leaks that you see to the likes of Bloomberg and Reuters, I suspect.
0: Yeah. But that, but that won't be. That will be passed on. That so, won't be people sat in the room.
3: They, oh, so they don't just leave the room and go. This was such a crazy idea. Let me just tell the press.
1: Well, they probably go back to the room. They and well, they, they brief their divisional managers on what's happened, and yeah. then, they, and, and, then it, and then it eventually filters down.
3: Or they so. might do trial balloons.
0: They they might like what you just said. They might go, you know, if they got someone at, at Reuters or AP or whatever that they really trust, they might go. Look, you didn't hear it from me, but we're thinking of getting into banking. And you know I've spoken about these trial balloons before on the pod. It's actually it actually makes a lot of sense because then Reuters goes off and writes up that you know exclusive sources say Orange is thinking of getting into banking, um, but that it's not attributed to Orange or any, certainly not any any individual. And then 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 they find some clever way of gauging the public reaction when that exclusive comes out from yeah. Reuters or AP or Bloomberg. Yeah, you or look whatever. at
1: what happens to the share price. Uh, and,
0: then and then they, they suddenly think, and... hold on a sec, everyone thinks this is a shit idea. <laughs>
3: Uh, and it's a good way of dipping their toe and testing the water. Or a yeah. movie that leaks a scene from like an animated character and they go, oh, that's horrible. And they go, oh, maybe we should tr- go back Yeah, to yeah. yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, there's all sorts of trouble. Yeah. I, I actually think, as a, as a mechanism for a low risk way of sort of exposing something to the public, engaging in initial
1: response, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I'm, by the way, I'm happy to be used that way if anybody yeah.
0: wants to use me. Well, I mean, you look at like some of the stuff I've spoken about before with things Formate. like Twitter Formate. files. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that the US security state uses, um, you know, there's, there's a really, this is a complete tangent, I'll keep it short, but um, there's also stuff going on to do with um, Trump getting sued for holding on to classified documents when he shouldn't have, which it sounds like he's banged to rights on, by the way. But, you know, one one journalist, I really respect Glenn Greenwald, who I, I listen to his, his show, he doesn't rumble a lot. He points out that classified information is constantly being leaked to the press. Mm in those sort of sources close to the yeah. to the matter who requested anonymity. That's nearly always someone in one of those alphabet security agencies or or the government or the deep state or whatever. Um, so there's that kind of leaking. And then there's Trump going,
1: you know, these are my boxes, get your fucking I hands off. I thought... Um interesting it's a bit of a tangent as well but Patrick Donegan who used to work for um, for us on yeah, uh, heavy, heavy Reading, reading but yeah. now his independent put an interesting uh, tweet up today because there's you've probably seen it via um, I don't want to mention him again so I'm not going to say the name but
0: <laughs> Well, you've you probably mean, seen this stuff on I mean Huawei, someone who will send and, us text messages saying what a great pod it is because we've mentioned him.
1: Yeah. but You, you know who you, you are. Yeah, you are. But um, the Huawei the Huawei snooping in Denmark story that, that broke um, a few right. days ago about them sort of having... That's
0: whittled it down putting, as well, is not yeah,
1: it? Yeah, <laughs> putting pressure on TDC and everything. It's a really good story, but it's the same guy at Bloomberg who wrote the one a few years ago, if you remember, about Chinese s- surveillance, uh, right. sort of chips going into equipment that was being used in America. And Patrick Donegan put this interesting thing up saying this would be a great story if it wasn't Bloomberg. The trouble for me with Bloomberg is that they're sort of used by yeah. US security agencies. Totally. Background sources, they rely on them heavily and therefore, totally. in my opinion, they're not a reliable source. Oh, that was a really interesting comment. actually.
0: Well, and, but, and, and it's completely uh, um, consistent with, with my observations, you know. They'll get a scoop and it's a really interesting, juicy story, but then you think, what is what is the narrative it's basically supporting? The narrative it's basically supporting is consistent with the aims of, of the US state, i.e. Yeah. Ch- China bad. Yeah. So anyway, okay. We will um, we'll move on. In fact, this is a good, good moment. I think we both need another beer. I oh, definitely and, one for this section. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is a bit in the wheeze. You're going to be doing a lot of talking. I want to give a shout out to um, <laughs> Jerry from Ericsson.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you ever met Jerry from Ericsson? No, but I've been liaising with her today. on, on oh, uh, have you? By email. Yeah.
0: Okay, cool. Oh yeah, I mean, oh God, I'm feeling all left out. I like I've to... it's, oh, okay. not, it's, not, it's not a news story,
1: anyway. So... She recommended.
0: She knows I like beer. I've yeah. met out with her a couple of times when she's come over to London. We've gone out and had a few beers, um, and she knows I like beer, and she knows I like we like pale ale. And she recommended this one, so I brought a couple in from home. So I bought uh, like a box of 24, and it's this um, it's this band called uh, New Barn, New Barns, and they're I mean, Scottish
1: metal band no they're scottish well, they can still be heavy metal
0: well they could be but they're not a fucking beer, aren't they there's, think
1: it there's a band a... i thought you said something to do with the band
0: new barn oh okay. new i barn. heard that too ian okay uh, all right yeah. all right fair enough <laughs> perhaps i perhaps i said it my bad new barns it's called maybe i said new bands okay my bad
1: you went there's this band <laughs>
0: Right, in that case. What, yeah. is,
3: what is it? What's a bar?
0: I'll listen back to this on Monday. And I'll be like, oh, shit, that was me just being an idiot. <laughs>
3: it's a proof, <proofreader>. is <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Anyway, it, it's just,
0: it's, Jerry recommended it, and I bought a 24-pack of them. They're not the cheapest. These are slightly bigger, 440 mil ones. Probably come to about three quid a tin. Whoa. But, yeah, whoa-ho. That's um, a lot. But, but it's really decent. And it's quite a commitment to
3: have bought 24, though, right away.
0: Yeah, it's like 75 quid, I think, for 24. Fuck. Yeah, so that's about three quid. Um, so I brought. Is it in... a Costco thing? No, it's straight from them. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um mm. And um, and so I brought a couple in. I brought in my favourite one is this Supreme Pale Ale. I bought that for you, and I brought in this. They do one Thank that they much. call. They just call table beer, and it's called table beer because it's only three percent. And normally I'd be like three percent. Get the fuck away from oh, me. That's just about right. Yeah. Well. Actually, because I'm meeting some. It's quite low. I'm meeting some mates later. Yeah, his is five percent. Below three, you're like, okay, no. Yeah, three yeah. Below, starts to get below three, it'd be like those um,
1: those beers we had in China. Ian, you yeah, three. The three is nice for being being able to drink a lot, obviously, and not. Really well, exactly,
0: and that's what, that's yeah. the reason I brought this in for myself because it's still quite drinkable. Doesn't taste too like watery, and and I'm meeting some mates later, and, and they won't have been drinking, and I don't want to have too much of a head start. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I thought you, were you want to, to be take
1: advantage up? of me. <laughs>
0: you want to be warmed up already? Well. Once one Supreme, and you're anyone's, Ian. <laughs> um,
3: so, uh, so, anyway, uh, let's crack cheers, these. Thank very much. Cheers, Jezza. Good recommendation. It's like a Beaver Towns Nanobot, which I think is 2.7 or two point two point eight something like that. Right. Yep, what do reckon, other, Ian? It's nice. What's crazy is that yeah, at it's 3%, cr- it should be cheaper, though. At least yeah. reminds me
1: of train spotting. Yeah. I've actually been to Leith. It's. Uh,
3: actually, it's funny it's you mentioned bit, Train bit...
0: Spotting because um, Jerry's really into her books. Right. Um, and she, and she even read my book and was very kind uh-huh. about it. Um, although she said it did her head in a bit at first, which I took as a compliment. Yeah. Um, and then I said to her, I can't remember why, but I said, why don't you read Train Spotting, which is based in Leith, yeah, I Ruff. believe. It is. Um, and she read that recently and, and she's like. Um, she lives in Sweden and from Singapore originally. Okay. And you know, if you read Trainspotting, yep. so you know it's written in like phonetic. Binacular. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. And so that was doing her head in yeah. as well.
1: Yeah, it, um, it takes a bit of time to get you. Yeah,
0: I can imagine that would be the case. But then once, once you get into it, you find yourself like talking. Like, How do they spell light, for example? Lech? Like well, but yeah, I,
1: I, it's like it's like it's phonetic, like Scott says. So you read it as you would as you would print. The one that
0: it. really jumped out at me about how they how they wrote it is bottle, they? bottle. They they wrote b o a t i
3: l. Oh, bottle, bottle.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and so once you, once you get into that 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 phonetic way of writing, then yeah. then you start talking jock.
2: Yeah, yeah, no uh, McCray.
0: yeah and so um anyway there's a tangent there but but cheers jerry um that was a good recommendation and i may well go back there and can they give you this was called the hoppy selection there's about five or six
1: different ones and they're all decent
3: did you guys ever bother with the second movie
1: yeah i did and i thought it was pretty good okay t20 Mm -hmm. it's not as good as the first one obviously but it's quite good yeah um i was recommended it by ray lemaitre Okay. Because he obviously liked the first one and I think he went to see right. the second one at the cinema and he said, yeah, it's good, but it's obviously not as good as the first, but yeah,
3: it's a good film. I went to a press conference once with uh, Danny Boyle.
1: Right. He directed the second one as well, Danny Boyle, yeah, 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 which, is, yeah. which is a good sign. Yeah, yeah. Not not to have a different director, but
3: uh, yeah,
1: yeah, it's, it's you should, if you've not watched it, you should watch it. It's, it's good. I think it's based very loosely on another Irving um, Welsh book, but...
3: Yeah, because it's not. They really, changed so yeah. Train
1: is quite faithful to the book. Mm. Whereas um T twenty's quite quite different from the successive book that the sequel mm. to Train Spotting, the name of which I can't remember, and I've not read it either, but apparently it's quite different.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I read the one after. There's certainly... is definitely
1: the best of his output that I've read. Well, I, I liked quite a lot of his early ones. Like, he did a short story collection called Maribu Stalk Nightmares. So yeah. I think it's really really good. Maybe that isn't a short story collection. But he no, did, he did um, some really good early stuff. And then he, I think he sort of went off the boil a bit for me. But
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, in he's my st- early years, I adapted one of his short stories in a music video. Oh, really? Yeah. Do It's cool. when a, a, a kid makes... He shoots with his grandmother. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. I it, think...
3: Um, one of the things like you you know
0: i don't I don't know if you've ever attempted to write fiction but when i was writing my book you definitely get some license from other fiction that you've read yeah like some some of the some of the bits where i went quite into the weeds about some quite technical stuff i got license from things like 1984 where there's bits of 1984 where you know there's no dialogue there's no action there's just these concepts that he's coming out with yeah and i think one of the things i took license from Irvin welsh from is like the more I've got that one character who speaks in a sort of you know what I mean sort of Londony way yeah yeah um, yeah I, I took that I think
1: quite a lot of people have done that now. There's a book called The Seven Seven Killings of oh, what's it called? There's a there's a Jamaican author who wrote a book about the sort of Bob Marley um a sort of episode in Jamaica the crime that was uh, sort oh, okay. of around it. He won the Booker Prize, but I couldn't get on with it at all. I found the the, the phonetic in that just did, did my head. I can. You it gotta be so, careful. You were so, but he from someone from that country, perhaps they'd find it easier. And because we're we're quite close to Scotland, and you hear Scottish people all the time, it's it wasn't that hard for me to sort of read it and, and get what Irving Welsh was getting mm-hmm. at. But doing the the Jamaican, no, film, in fact, I, I you know, I remember really hard. I remember making the decision
0: not to do phonetic, even with my character, who's really overtly Londony. You know, like you say, a Londoner would say, "You know, what I mean," you could imagine how you could write, "You know, what I mean" phonetically. Yeah but in the end i just decided to write you yeah. know what i mean because yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the phonetics would just it just would have been a mess totally and then once you open that fucking pandora's box you know what else do you do phonetically yeah but i thought it was very brave of him to do that and i thought it worked it in that
1: worked book well in that book yeah, yeah we should we should talk about telecom stuff. We should
0: talk about telecom stuff. So now we've had that bit of light relief let's get back into the weeds. Yeah. So again I'm going to sort of largely pass the ball to you. I'll tear it up briefly because I did write this up but I wrote it up in a fairly short amount of time yesterday evening. Um and so this is uh Nokia and Red Hat. Mm. So Nokia we all know Nokia is Red Hat is a, is a a sort of tech company the best known for um, making enterprise grade open source um software and they were yeah. bought by uh, IBM a few years ago mm-hmm. um but seem to have they seem to have done a good job of letting red hat keep doing its red hat thing well they do
1: cloud infrastructure software they, okay, cool. the same game as vmware and uh, yeah well and which Windows is which Windows. is definitely definitely the, three, the more
0: really, relevant way of framing yeah. it to this story yeah um and yeah and it just sort of snuck out this thing um yesterday that that, that they've got this partnership initially i thought it's just one of those things where yeah they decide decided to sort of help each other out but it seems a bit bigger than that a bit more of a strategic partnership which you know and i will hand it i won't steal your thunder too much which even involves some um transfer of personnel from one to the other yeah and it's all to do with as you were saying to do with this sort of cloud stuff so and I just called, I just framed it as Nokia and Red Hat announced strateg- Cloud Strategic Partnership. So I'll leave it at that, because while we both wrote it up, you actually listened in on the special call, um, so you know a lot more about it than I do, and you were explaining it to me beforehand, and it gets... I must admit, sometimes this stuff gets so abstract that I sort of struggle to fully get my head around it. So over to you. Pretend I'm well, well, a complete idiot, which would be quite easy I'll for you. Try. To
1: I mean, do. it's quite yeah, I suppose it's fairly complicated, but you can simplify so you you run your soft your telecom software on a cloud infrastructure platform, yeah? And um there are lots of these around. I mean, this is one of the complaints the telcos have had for a few years. It's comes up; it been coming up a lot about these silos. So, so when you say buy, a
0: cloud infrastructure platform, do you mean something like AWS or Azure?
1: Well, those are the public clouds. You can public use these platform. within okay. those. You you have, use those. You can use those, combine those. You can use... a Or you can have Nokia's one. This is like Kubernetes, you know, and yep. OpenStack, you know, you have your... your Containers the, and all the, the, that The system thing. that manages the software. Really. Yeah, see,
0: that's where it all gets abstract. It really does The system to do that manages edit. the
1: software. think okay. of it as maybe like an operating system system. Try and think about it in that way, maybe. Um, But so you... you, you, Maybe that's the best way to try to think about it. But so you you sit your applications on that. And then what's tended to happen with... um, I mean, this deal very much concerns core network applications that Nokia develops and sells to telcos. Things like the evolve packet core and home location register and all these little functions that you've got that form part of the core network stack that you sell to a someone like BT or whoever it might be.
0: Normally it's one sort of effectively well, monolith.
1: Well, that's the interesting thing. Right, you can okay. buy them from different people, but apparently, and I didn't actually know this before I sort of started writing about this thing yesterday even, apparently people tend to just get them from one, all, all from the same You can company. see the it temptation. Becomes
0: more compl- it's almost back to what we were talking about earlier about bundling a bunch of stuff together. It
1: is. And, and apparently it's more, it just becomes more complicated to use different vendors. It's yes. interesting. It's a little bit of a different
2: trend. Because
0: with different vendors... Uh, this is purely in a software setting, so that's where the comparisons of what I we was talking about earlier don't apply. But with different software vendors, you, you have to be sure that they're going to play nice with each
1: other. Yeah, one. well, I, mean, I think it's different. for So in, in things like business support systems and operational, operational support systems, you get these two things, best of suite and best of stack, best of breed, sorry, best of suite and best of breed. So best of suite is you take all the different applications from one vendor yeah, because overall, it's the best thing you can get in the market compared with the overall stuff that you would get from another company. Whereas best of breed is dipping in and yeah. looking at each separate application and going, oh, the best person in that area is Mavenir, the best person in that area is Nokia, the best person in that area is Ericsson. That's best of breed. But there, so there's advantages and disadvantages to both. Best of sweet, there's that whole, I don't like the expression very much, but that one throat to choke, mm. you know. Um there's a lot well, of unfortunate little metaphors yeah. that come up in corporate speak. But actually, it sums it up quite well. People know what you mean when you say that. You got you go to this company and you complain about it, but maybe some things aren't quite as good as you could get if you went elsewhere. You go elsewhere, you get a range of things that are really, really good, but you've got to make them all play together nicely, et cetera, et cetera. But apparently, in the core network applications area, people have tended in 4G and 5G to go and get them all from the same company. and uh, And then what's happened also is... You um so people put it put it on their own, the platform. If we call it an OS or whatever, they put it on their own. So Nokia has these things that are kind of equivalent to what someone like Red Hat would do. There, it has its own kind of Kubernetes distribution and its own OpenStack distribution that it uses to support these applications. And you sell that to the operator. The trouble for the operator is it's getting that with that with that with that kubernetes or openstack thing underneath it to support it but it's got a bunch of those in the mix because it's doing the same thing with BSS and OSS from someone else. And it's right. got other network and IT applications. Core network applications in mobile is only one part of what an operator has to manage across its whole network and IT portfolio. So if, if, you've, if you've got all these different platforms that you're supporting these applications on, you've basically got a bunch of vertical silos supporting all the range of applications that you need across the network. Yeah. So you get that you get that sort of idea. Yeah. Whereas if you went with someone like the, the 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 ideal is to have one one layer basically, one sort of operating system, let's yep. say, one Kubernetes distribution that would support all these different things. Right. Um, so and why that why to,
0: would that be better?
1: Rather than having lots of different things that are incompatible, just to have one platform. So it's
0: it's the smoothness, smoothness. Well, to think about it from a cost
1: perspective for a start.
0: Yeah. So that's 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 the bundling concept. But is there a technological reason in terms of the the interoperability?
1: Well, you know, those applications would only work like you know, within, they, I, I don't necessarily know if like your core network applications would have to interface with some of the other applications that okay. you're using in the, in, in your overall sort of portfolio, but it's still a lot more economical and efficient to yeah. put it all on one underlying layer that, rather than, than to have lots and lots yes, of Yeah, because then you stacks. get du- duplication. Yeah. Um, and also the, the other, the other thing is that you want the freedom to just, yeah, it's, it's, Think of what you're buying, yeah? If you go out there and I wanna buy some Nokia applications and put them on and put them on my, you know, on my system and, and run it. Oh, I have to buy their Kubernetes thing as well to do right. that. And I've already got a bunch of those in, in my, you know, in my estate. And you just add in complexity and and um so you get these vertical silos basically in the system that mm-hmm. people have been complaining about. Uh, there's a push to have some more efficient, a horizontal layer. I think the way the food analogy that gets used is it's like going from spaghetti to lasagna, isn't it? Kind of thing, you know. Right. That's the. I haven't that, heard that analogy. one before. Oh, that, lasagna! That gets, that gets thrown up all the time. That, <laughs> For some yeah, reason, yeah. I've never heard it. Because yeah. I
0: like a, I like a simile that's to the food, simplify these the food, things. That's the food analogy. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, lasagna. Obviously, you can picture the layers, the horizontal layers, where spaghetti. Anyway, is all I mean, over what's, the shop. what's
1: happened in this case is that. Nokia basically given up doing. Uh, it seems its own sort of Kubernetes, OpenStack stuff. It's it's um, you know it's decided that it's going to move that function, the, the stuff, you know, the, 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 that area of its activities into into Red Hat. So these they've got three hundred and fifty people that are actually going to move across from Nokia to Red Hat to join Red Hat's team and kind of support their development of their own... I can't remember what they call it. I think the OpenShift is their Kubernetes one, and they have another one that's like an OpenStack system. Mm -hmm. Um, And that will allow Nokia just to focus on doing the application. Red Hat OpenStack platform and Red Hat OpenShift. Oh, there you are. Yeah. So that will allow um, Nokia to just focus on doing the application stuff. And then... um, Nokia, uh, Red Hat does the um, does the sort of underlying platform, the cloud infrastructure platform that supports those applications, and then I guess if you're an operator that you know if, if you're going along with the logic of of what Nokia was saying on the call, you have a common layer that can run other things as well. You know, yeah. that could run other other stuff, um,
0: and also another advantage is that Red Hat presumably plays nice across all the public cloud. Yeah, partners. exactly.
1: So. So that's that, yeah, that's the, that's one of the um, reasons, perhaps, for using one of these companies like Wind River and Red Hat and, and VMware, is that they um, they have their systems designed to actually run them within the public cloud as well. So you can put it on, you, you can you yep. can you can use it on uh, AWS or Google Cloud or um, Microsoft Azure and take advantage of some of the features and services that they've got to offer and have a sort of ability to. If you just go in with them directly, I think if you were just to go all in with AWS, which is what someone like Dish has done, for instance, yep. I think um, there's a fear about tying yourself too closely to them, and Indeed, then it becomes hard to. speak about to, a lot on this pod. Becomes hard to sort of move out of that environment. Um, and you, you you take advantage of their services in a way that makes it quite hard to move. Whereas if you have this sort of, it gets called an abstraction layer. I think in the industry you have Red Hat there as or Wind River. It can be Wind River or VM. Whereas a kind of abstraction layer, mm-hmm. it becomes e- supposedly easier to sort of port that stuff if you wanted to. And um, and that's a, and that's a part of this um, that did come up in the call yesterday that they were, they were sort of keen to point that out. I think the the issue that i would have with it is what if a customer of nokia doesn't want to use um red hat yeah you know let's say is there a reason why they wouldn't want to well in the same way or, you might not want to use ericsson i mean
0: obviously than there's there are reasons why you wouldn't want to do there's anything, all sorts of reasons why but i'm just want. wondering if there are any specifics that spring to mind
1: i mean red hat's reputation is really good you know i'm yeah. not gonna i don't, I don't but they
0: just minute. might have some kind of
1: but but you still might have a preference. Really strong relationship. You might with... have a I mean, let's say you were already using Wind River, okay? Let's say you, you already had Wind River there and you're using them for a load of a load of other things. And and you don't want to get you don't want to end your relationship with Wind River. Yeah. And you're you're and because and, you've had a really good relationship with them for a really long time and you know you're thinking of going even more all in with them, but you want to get some of these Nokia Core cool Network applications and um but you don't really want to you don't really want to engage red hat because yeah. if you do that all of a sudden you don't have one common layer anymore do you unless you get rid of wind river you've got two layers yes in and
0: there. so so that comes to what i think is an interesting part of this um you know as i framed it at the start it's you know it's more than just a relationship it, it's a, it's a it's a strategic partnership totally yeah where nokia is basically saying for the foreseeable future we're going to be all in with red hat they, on this
1: stuff. they've they've basically picked a winner yeah nokia has basically picked a he he said on the course it's fran heron who's in the in the nokia sort of technical team basically complained about the profusion of sta- of um, platforms at the moment which right. is an argument the telcos have come out with no one would dispute that but their answer to that is basically to say they're not going to work on doing that because their platform was only ever really geared up for supporting Nokia's core network applications yeah so the best thing for them to do if they're going to go all in with a system that they think could become a sort of de facto standard for supporting everything is to is to choose red hat yeah that's right. essentially what they've done Yep. Because, because if you take the logic to, if you take it to its logical conclusion, the only way his argument really justifies itself is if a, t- a company comes along, an operator comes along and goes, I'm buying, co- um, I'm going to go and buy Nokia's core network applications. And therefore, I'm going to put everything else that needs hosting on a cloud infrastructure platform on Red Hat as well. Because if you don't do that and you keep other cloud infrastructure platforms in the mix to support other applications, then you don't have one common layer anymore. You've got multiple layers in the mix. So, yep. the, and that would be my that's my pushback to the whole thing. Is now they do say, by the way, that if you're a customer and you don't want to use Red Hat, they'll carry on supporting you. But it seems to be the case that
0: yeah, and the transitions can be very gradual. And there's a
1: transition that's gradual, but the 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 issue is. Um, they were saying there's two. They're basically saying there's two models. There's the model where people come along and only buy one or two applications and try and have a core where they're they're taking applications from lots of people. Yeah, the best of the best of breed approach. And in those instances, it's going to be much harder, I think, anyway, for them to push this approach that they've got because you might be taking some Ericsson stuff there as well as some Mavenir stuff. And unless those companies have the same kind of cozy arrangement with with Red Hat that Nokia Mm. does it's much harder to 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 sort of force an operator to go with a cloud a particular cloud in infrastructure platform, isn't it? Because there's other people there's other people in the mix, it just becomes a much yeah. more difficult thing to it's,
0: do. It's anyway. an interesting dynamic with these kind of tie-ups. It's funny you talk you've mentioned Wind River several times and we wrote it. Well there's only
1: really three. That's the thing. Right, quite, okay, I mean we talk about consolidated like markets that don't have much competition. I actually didn't realise it was that the, those are the three that always get cited and there aren't really I've like, always thought of Wind River as more of like an embedded software like for wind river is exact. wind river is a competitor to red hat and vmware it's a direct competitor they they all they will all have things that they are slightly better at doing i'm sure and there's differences like for a start um red hat is very much in the open source game whereas i think vmware there's more sort of proprietary stuff there vmware gets tarnished a bit with the brush that it's Old school virtualization, as opposed to cloudification. Right. Don't ex- don't ask me to explain the difference between no, that because please. that really starts to get confusing. But I think the main difference is enough. With, with you're talking about the difference between using. Um, Like virtualization, you have a hypervisor in there, which is like a common operating system to support everything. Whereas I think with um, cloudification, it's more about using containers where each each discrete software element has its own operating system built into it. But that's getting into territory that I find hard to... But
0: again, I'm totally out of my depth on this stuff, but part of the thing, the little I understand or thought I understood about containers is, well, they, as the name implies, might be... Um, defined in a certain specific way, they're supposed to all play nice in the broader sort of operating system or abstraction layer or, or, or whatever these various well, containers. Can,
1: the, the containers contain everything it needs to function yeah. on, on a sort of standalone basis. I think. Is
0: but that then it also containers. needs to be able to play nice with the the rest of the world. Anyway, fuck it. Well, I don't. i prob- have probably already screwed this up. But, um, um, one of one but, of the things. One of the reasons I mentioned Wind River is I wrote a quick thing earlier on this week about how Samsung and Wind River are teaming up over the, what they call the software-defined vehicle. And I won't get into that. It's not a particularly big story by itself. And this is one of the reasons why I have Win Wind River down more as a sort of embedded software specialist, which could be also true. Both things can be true, what you said about them and what I said about them can both be true at the same time. They've um, well,
1: just been bought by Aptiva, isn't it? Aptiv or whatever.
0: Well, I know they, they uh, were called... bought by Intel. Um... Were they bought oh, off? That's Intel. a long time ago.
1: Uh, so, the
0: so, they were independent. Now they've been bought again.
1: Oh, I didn't know they, that. They, 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 the deal was a long time ago, but it's just cleared like two weeks ago something. Active, which does, okay. which is actually mainly the cars game. Oh, there we are. Stopper for cars. But, so there we are. Yeah, so,
0: but, so, so, so now Samsung's um, had a sort of similar
1: level of intimacy with them. Anyway, the only reason I bring it up is so Wind River, for instance, is the company that's supporting vRAN for Vodafone UK, and its swap out. Okay. That's Wind River. They're they're pretty much doing what um, uh, what Vodaf- what sorry, Nokia is talking about Red Hat doing in this instance, except it's the core rather than the RAM. Right.
0: Yeah, and so I think what I'm trying to get at, and, and this could be this could be a false sort of equivalence, but it, when you get these partnerships going on, and in a sec, I, I will ask you to see if you can tell me why you think Nokia has done this, i.e., what was broken that, yeah. that it thinks this it fixes. Um, But, you know, as as you've already intimated, Nokia's picked a winner, picked a team. And then, you know, Samsung's picked a team with Wind River on the software-defined vehicle, and I'm sure there's lots of upsides for it. But again, that could create some sort of tensions uh, with other vehicle manufacturers or... Um, I think this thing just concerns Android, so I don't know if it says well, anything.
1: I, the, the Wind River car stuff, I don't really understand. No, the no, no but I just there. bring it up because
0: I, I, we're talking about Wind River, and what I'm talking about more broadly is when two big companies decide to have a technology strategic yeah. partnership, there there can be pros and cons. That's the only reason I make that equivalent. Yeah, anyway. I mean,
1: don't ask me about the I'll active Wind River thing because that's a bit weird to me, that, that, that ownership model. But certainly right. the Nokia and... Um, I mean, the, it might be one of those things where they just bought something that's got very little to do with what their mainstream thing is. I, I just I haven't looked into it enough. But here but Nokia, um, the reason they've done it, I suspect, is because they know that operators are grumbling about it. Operators what what are, are
0: they grumbling about?
1: Vertical silos. And they, they were basically one of the companies that had a vertical silo, yeah, with the stuff that they're doing. Right. So they've they've decided the solution to this is to go all in with... Red Hat as a company that can offer you a common layer to do everything. So what's not to like then? The what's not to like is that I wonder if that's the solution operators want. Uh I wonder if they want a point of dependency that is a bit of IBM. Yes. As opposed to doing something like initiatives like Silver, which seems to be an effort, a a European-led telco effort to have standards and some kind of way around this, where, um, you know companies comply with certain requirements and so that makes it easier to maybe move things around from one platform to another and you know you don't have lock in and you have more sort of the kind of stuff that the ORA alliance is doing to a certain extent you know it just makes it a bit easier to move things between platforms because you have to comply yes. with certain you have to comply with certain um rules that they set and obviously as opposed to having a a a, a, a layer that's owned by one private sector company
0: yeah Um, and and, you know this is a telecoms podcast and so we completely understand the value of global standards that are not owned by anyone yeah because that's what fucking 4g 5g etc is um and if you can make it work then it's brilliant isn't it yeah but it doesn't there are not too many other equivalents of 3gpp or whoever it is that supervises these things that seem to work as well as it does
1: no I mean that's a big that's I mean silver's not really a, a standards group and actually the ORN alliance isn't really a standards group either no that's one of the criticisms we always of them they're always get that
0: standards and specifications thing mixed up as well and,
1: and silver's I don't know what the status of it is. It's also very young, and I and and I mean, I remember asking Red Hat about this at Mobile World Congress this year, and they didn't really seem to have very much involvement in it. And I always thought one of the problems with it is if you don't get those companies involved and you don't get the the the, the public clouds involved as well, then where is it going to go? And I don't think this is a very good thing for Silver. It doesn't sound like it is to me because it just doesn't sound like it's what that group's trying to push. And this is where I'm, I'd be slightly confused. Admit to being maybe slightly confused is. Nokia would obviously have gone out there. We talked about this before coming on yeah. and asked customers what they yeah. thought. They don't do these things without having some kind of customer feedback. wasn't just feedback.
0: like my paradigm of them getting pissed in the boardroom.
1: So, yeah. yeah. Fuck it. So they would obviously have gone out and spoken to people and probably got good feedback on doing this. And um, and yet the implication is, I mean, you're only going to get the full benefits of doing something like this. And yet you're only going to avoid having vertical silos if you agree that if you're a nokia customer everything else goes onto red hat as well yeah because if you don't do that and you keep other people in the mix to support other applications and functions that you've got you you've still got silos mm. you know now maybe so, you haven't got as many silos maybe because because things are geared to work what i mean those those companies are used to supporting you know um they don't just work with nokia clearly yeah so they're used to working with other companies in in the applications game, whether they're on the core network side or whether they're on the BSS and OSS side or whatever it might be. So but you still it still implies that everybody who's a, a sort of Nokia core network client is gonna go along with a kind of Red Hat model in the future. Yeah. And and get get other other players that would be doing that sort of thing out of the mix and put it all on Red Hat. And um yeah, great. Then you can take advantage of AWS and Google and Microsoft, and or you can just run it in a private cloud setting if you want, rather than using the public clouds. You've got that kind of portability. Brilliant. I, I buy that. But at the end of the day, then you've, you've still got one single point of dependency. Yeah. Uh, which which is, is Red
0: Hat. Which, which, as you say, is something that operators are increasingly stressed about.
1: And, and that's more, perhaps more of a concern, I think, than all this stuff about, Um, oh, there's only one company, there's only two companies selling radio access network equipment. Um, And so what, I mean, what is, given
0: that already operators have so little choice, they've basically got, um, in any way that's affiliated to the US, they've, for a lot of their, um, for a lot of operators, for most of their telco stuff, um, they're reliant on either Ericsson or Nokia. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then a long tail Samsung open round types and that sort of thing. Does this, th- is it possible for you to make any comment on how this affects the competitive landscape between Nokia and Ericsson, a move like this?
1: Well, I know I didn't think about that aspect of it that much, but I remember the Omdia research note that they put out around about the same time I was writing my thing was it sort of, puts the pressure on on Ericsson to do something similar, they were saying. So you know, this feels um, like Nokia taking the initiative. Yeah, I mean, the, the way Omdia, um, the way Omdia sort of framed it was that it, you know, Ericsson's kind of behind the curve then because they're still, um, they're still, they're still sort of doing things in the old Nokia way of having, these um these their own sort of cloud infrastructure platforms yeah. their own kind of kubernetes distribution and and open and you know maybe they need to sort of get with the game and but you know you think you think where, where could that lead presumably this this is really interesting actually thinking about this does this deal with red hat and this wasn't asked because it's only just occurred to me now but does this deal with red hat and nokia preclude red hat from doing the same thing with ericsson yes good point isn't it? and and if they did do the same thing with ericsson is that a favorable thing for the market because then all of a sudden you've got two big core network companies yeah. in the world going with red hat as the as their pri. this is the way it's been described by the way that the wording that was used in the call and i think maybe even read the primary infrastructure partner um in other words, all of our focus and energy is going to go on to gearing our stuff up to work on that platform from now on. And anything else is a bit of a hassle, frankly, um, which is, which is, you know, reading between the lines, more or less what Fran yeah. here and at Nokia was saying. There's too many of these platforms, he said, you know, we need to focus on on one of them, essentially. So if Ericsson did the same thing, well, that's, to me, that's even more worrying. Yeah, and then, then, then all of a sudden Red Hat becomes this um all-powerful thing in the market
0: and i take your point there and then what if ericsson goes oh shit and then they go chatting to Wind river or vmware and then they come up with an equivalent thing with one of those so
1: so and then the problem with that is that then you're starting to get these strategic alliances forming and i know they were very resistant to the idea of it being described as lock-in but you you, you're basically sort of shepherding your telco customers towards one thing, aren't you? You go with Ericsson, that means using Wind River as your Indeed. cloud infrastructure partner. You go with Nokia, that means using Red Hat as your cloud infrastructure partner. This I don't. This, Never the this, shall to be. me, I mean, we've paid attention to this, the, what telcos have been saying for the last few years at trade shows and in interviews. They've not been saying things like that. No. They've been saying they want the freedom to be able to mix and match and yeah. use this. All and
0: that. while at the same time, I seem to remember Neil McRae talking in the past going, it's a pain in the ass to have too many
1: he has but i think he probably even he would say yeah all right you want to go with one or two but you still but want, you want to have the you option you certainly don't want to have to go with this company that means oh you're using this company yeah, as well. yeah. you don't want
0: to have the choice That's, made for I you but even i'm yeah, I and mean,
1: yeah. i i take issue with some of the stuff that comes out on the openness front i think it can go too far yeah. and, but to to go along with look these are important players in the mix by the way this isn't the same as saying oh a little bit of our ran software is going to be done on this silicon which i kind of write about all the time and i'm To me that's less of an issue than saying the whole of the applications Mm -hmm. are going onto this platform this supporting platform and by the way that's what's happening and they're two separate companies but like it or not because if you know if you don't want to do it that way it's going to be a lot harder for you basically that's kind of what the message is so a deal between ericsson and uh, as i say if, if red hat if it cuts red hat out from that would have been a great question to ask if I thought about this more thoroughly now and if you prompted me to I mean it <laughs> was it actually would, it was actually incredibly short call anyway that was it? That. it wasn't I mean I'm gonna provide some feedback to Red Hat if they listen, because maybe some of them will, but it wasn't set up in a very good way that call. Um it was it was half an hour, and I don't want them to go on for an hour and a half, but I think no. half an hour when there's some preamble where the executives are talking at the start, so at and QA short a time um there was about 15 to 20 minutes i mean my second question didn't get asked right
0: and there were quite a lot of hacks on the call
1: i didn't see how many hacks on the call right. because it was on a weird platform that they were using it was their, oh, okay. their own red hat like so it a wasn't sort of on zoom thing it was on zoom thing. thing right so it's kind of hard to know how to use okay. and you didn't have that option i don't like typing questions in and then a person asked a question on your behalf mm. and they didn't even say who was asking the questions so they didn't even say this is Ian from Light Reading's got right. this question. It was just oh we've got a question on this. It's like a webinar almost. How Probably a just webinar well, was done? No
0: one likes you, so
1: they wouldn't. Well, I don't care if they don't like questions. me. That's fine. But um, <laughs> but I like the ones that where you raise you know you raise your hand yeah. and then you actually you unmute yourself and yeah. you say this is Ian like, a,
0: like like on quarterly calls, yeah.
1: So feedback to Red Hat, it was a shit call. Shit platform. A shit platform. It was a shit platform. It was a shit way for that to be done. It okay. wasn't very. It wasn't very good actually it really wasn't right um, um considering you're supposed to be such a whizzy tech company it, you could do better it it wasn't just a tech platform it was the duration and it was um not allowing the the people to actually speak to actually ask a question and say who they were yeah. ra- rather than actually have to type in questions well that um, comes
0: that comes into the into the broader thing that i've felt for for years where a lot of things that involve journalists don't seem to be designed with the journalist first in mind
1: well, because you don't get asked. They don't say, how would you like to do this? Would no. you like to do it on a Zoom? So no, you Put your hand up or... They want you
0: on the call. Yeah. So they can tick that box and say, we've got some hacks on the motherfucking call. Yeah. But then they don't give you a good journalist user experience. But now that
1: you've asked it, I'm going to go and... Because they, okay. they still haven't answered. This is the other thing they haven't done. They said, the questions that we got asked that we couldn't answer on the call, we'll come back and ask the, those questions. So my, the question that I didn't get um, answered was and I think we talked about this before we were coming on, when you're developing these core network applications, your wizzy little VEPC and all these other things that mm-hmm. you do, and you want to run it on um, Red Hat, is what you're doing to run on Red Hat very different from what you're doing to run on Wind River? Yeah. Or another provider? Do you have to tailor it? Do you have to tweak it? In other words, do you have to have sort of two sets of software? Which is quite important, Yeah. Because I, I suspect it is different. Because otherwise, they wouldn't be complaining about having to support multiple platforms. Why, why would it be an issue if you could just put the same piece of software yeah. on anything? Yeah. So there's obviously some kind of well, adaptation. In,
0: in, in an ideal cloud world, everything is totally um, frictionlessly right. I- interchangeable. And
1: and the guy's not going to be complaining about profusion of platforms if it was if it was that easy, is he? So I suspect that it's not that easy. Um, and therefore, this. We we will support other customers. They've lost 350 people now to Red Hat. Those people yeah. have gone. That's not going to make it any easier, let's be honest, to go and support other platforms.
0: No, that's, that, so, that strikes me as, as the most, short of an exchange of funds, the most sort of tangible commitment. They're saying Yeah, 350 of our boffins are going to go over to that and It's people
1: side. in R&D and product development. Yeah. So So they've lost those. So that was a question that didn't get answered. And the other question I want to ask them is the one that you've just asked is prompted me to think about is, what does it mean if Red Hat wanted to do exactly the same thing with Ericsson, could it? Mm -hmm. Or or could it not because of the terms of this agreement? Indeed. And if it couldn't, that only leaves Ericsson really with two other options in the market. And then, and then the prospect of it doing a deal with them actually, I think, slightly, slightly worrying. I think in a way of, of this sort of these uh, these sort of t- allegiances forming, creating an increasing gratification. And, and, increasing yeah. and so presumably, there's all sorts of implications in mean, like, this story. I that, think
0: you know again, I could be barking at the wrong tree, but we have spoken in the past, and this certainly came up. I remember um, quoting it where um, Scott Petty, who we still hope although it's gone a bit quiet to get on this pod one of these days, who's the overall CTO for Vodafone, is that yeah. right? Um, I was at a thing and you weren't there and and I asked a question, although very much inspired by conversations with you on this pod and otherwise, although sometimes when we get at the pub, we do talk about other shit. We don't just talk about telecoms the whole time. Um, um, and this, the, the, the public cloud was coming out and I was like, how easy is it to move from one to another, like from AWS to Azure or whatever? And, and he's, he said something along the lines as it's a pain in the arse. Yeah. Um, and, and this seems to set up another of those things where it's increasing the friction of moving between one and another, which, and I'm sure, just like with public cloud, there are lots of advantages. If you get all of AWS like Dish has done, I'm sure they're getting all kinds of advantages and efficiencies and flexibilities within that ecosystem. Yeah. But if one day they go, now nah, bollocks, Azure time... It is a massive pain in the eye totally. to make that And,
1: and this, all this is doing really is, and um, I think we've talked about it, James Crawshaw has made this point before very well, and Rosa Rose, both of them are Omdur analysts, is that you're moving the point of dependency from yeah. Azure to Red Hat. Right. So you, it's all very well saying, oh, that's the abstraction layer that allows us to go between the clouds. Now, I can understand why that might be appealing in a certain way because there's probably things that you get when you go into AWS that you don't get when you're with Google Cloud and that you don't get with um, Microsoft Azure. And all you can you can dip in dip in and out and take advantage of all three. But you've still got you're still shifting the point of dependency to another company and and I don't know if it's uh, a solvable problem. There's, I got a really, really good quote from Roz, actually, when I was in Austin and I was talking to her about this issue and I put it into the story I wrote yesterday um, as, a, as a sort of comment on the problem that exists here. So i would read it out. Yeah, um, And then we'll move on after that, if we'll that's all right. right. But she said, um, at some point in that stack, there's going to be a dependency. If you want to have something consistent, something must be a common factor. It's yeah. going to be VMware or Red Hat or it's going to be AWS or it's going to be Microsoft services. Something must be the same. Right. Now, this is what I think the operators ideally would like, that thing that's the same, not to be to be somehow done in a standardized way. You know, maybe it's a tool that you can use that nobody has ownership of. Yeah. I would think. No, that's back way to what to I was going
0: when I was going yeah. on about 3GPP yeah, earlier. Yeah, totally. Some yeah.
1: kind of standardized way of overcoming that problem as opposed to, having a bit of ibm that's the that's the that's the de- the dependency but yeah. it's yeah it's like a it's not an easy thing to think your way out of i no. don't know and i think maybe nokia's just come to that conclusion as well and, and they've thought well red hat's the best that we see in the market and um you know we see operators wanting to have a common layer and we think this makes sense they're not on the verge of going out of business, by the way. Red Hat—they're actually doing no, very well,
0: especially from, not what, being owned by IBM. From what I can see, well, IBM's been around for about hundred fucking years.
1: I think they're doing but, a lot better than, than the bigger than the bigger company, yeah. from what I can see. If you look IBM, at the results,
0: but IBM—the acronym stands for International Business Machines—that gives you some sense of how old that
1: company is. We've got about quarter of a million employees still, I think IBM. By yeah, the way. They're, they're like one of the most heavily staffed of all the IT. When I
0: mean, IBM was like the hot tech company of the 70s with mainframes and computers that ran on those fucking tape spools yeah, and yeah. shit like that. Yep. And the fact that they're still around and have, have managed to sort of...
1: Um, I was going to drink that bit of ice and then I think, uh, yeah, a bit of ice pooling at the top been. of his
0: tin. Um, and they yeah, managed to redefine themselves as, as whatever they are now. I'm not even sure if I could describe what they are now other than no. the broad-brush tech company. I don't think company. they could either. Um, but yeah, fair play to them. Anyway, um, so moving on... Um, I've got, I'm going to take the lead on this one. A few things that I'm aggregating, I'm, I'm probably going to call when I, because I'm the one who writes the description and the and the headline for the pod, I'll probably just call it politics, which might put people off, because I think, oh, fucking hell, is he going to go on about the Tories or the EU or Donald Trump or something? And they will come in, but this is obviously politics as it affects our core subject matter of tech and telecoms. Um, the lead is a story I wrote today just before I got on the train to come in for this pod. And um, my headline was Um UK digital exclusion report is vague and superficial. And so there's a committee in Parliament um that's come out with this report saying that there's... basically they call they talk about digital exclusion and what they mean by that is people who digital either exclusion. Yeah. People who either don't have an internet connection or are just fucking a bit clueless when it comes to
1: tech. Oh, those lucky people. <laughs> yeah, do you know what, what I mean? dream of being in that digital exclusion. Yeah, yeah well, quite. sign up for
0: it? Yeah, there's all those people who, like, get feature phones and, and all that. Um, and it just struck me. And, and there's a few other things, a few other little tan- tangents I want to go on from that. But this is the starting point. This is the, the foothold. And, yeah, and the reason I said it was vague and superficial... Um, is they came out with this report and go, well, there's too many people digitally excluded. We've got to fucking do something about it. But then you go, all right, fair enough. But then what does, what does digitally excluded mean? And they don't really define it very well. And, you know, one example, and well, I even do, took do, screenshots. They, well, you what you They never do these. No, yeah. exactly. It's all hazy words. Well, it's all and very political. Like, this yeah. is why I call this politics, this segment. So there's one example. In the press release... They said seven million households have no broadband or internet access. Think about that number. Do you think that's likely seven I think that's million? Very, very How unlikely. many households do you think there are in the I've,
1: UK? I've seen BT's numbers because I look at them when their earnings releases come out, and there aren't seven million households that don't have broadband Quite. or internet access. Just from BT's numbers. Yeah.
0: So that's bollocks. <laughs> and then in the full report, so that's just the press release which has got like the executive summary. I think,
1: I think the number of households in the UK is probably something like twenty seven, twenty eight million.
0: Yeah, so they're saying a quarter. Yeah i mean fuck off
1: yeah um and <laughs> yeah sorry government you're talking shit and lying as usual I'm talking shit son we know um, all about government lying no,
0: but but i think it might have been a typo because then you go to the full report yeah which i bet a lot of journalists didn't do i bet they just wrote out the press release and i'm not saying i'm the most conscientious journalist like compared to you where you sit in on these calls and and all that which i don't do a lot of the time um but what I do try and do is, if I see something and I'm not sure about it, then I'll try and drill down and go, "Okay, you sure?" And then when you go to the full report, and I don't know if I'm missing something, but they seem to be saying that for that exact same figure, i.e., households with no broadband or mobile internet connection, is 1.7 million, not seven million. So it makes me wonder whether it's just a a really rudimentary typo. Uh, it
1: was a pretty. Yeah, it's a pretty, pretty big cool one. An order of magnitude of about five, isn't it? Can't you and, write to somebody in the press office and go, hang on. Well, I could have, again, if I was... point seven. Yeah, exactly. it it's want, 0.7. Yeah, it's actually seven people. I want to
0: perceive them. Seven so... people ain't got no phone. Um, so I've been listening to a lot of Russell Brand recently, and uh, some of his ungrammatical, the way he speaks makes makes me laugh. Um, so seven people ain't got no internet. Um <laughs> And, you know, 1.7 million, that's still quite high. And they say that's 6%, which I'm not even sure about that. They're saying 1.7 million households is 6% of, what What did you say, 28 million total number of households?
1: 28 million households in the UK. So, is it, uh,
0: yeah, I guess 2.8 would be 10%. Yeah, so that is 6%. Um, so that seems a bit more plausible, that yeah. 6% of households don't, although I find it, I actually find it hard to believe that anyone doesn't have a smartphone or any household doesn't have a smartphone.
3: I find
1: it hard to believe that any that people don't have at least one or the other. Mm. I mean um
3: not I mean, smart like my neighbors I have neighbors on one side they're both like I don't know if I had to guess late 70s 80s yeah. i don't think they have a they have a phone i don't know if it's a smartphone. they've got phone. some doro just... oh no no one of them is on whatsapp so there you go actually yeah one's on uh, whatsapp yeah. even I'm on whatsapp i don't even understand it well,
1: so so that comes so, so that comes so to
0: the that comes to the broader narrative which i don't think was very well supported by the underlying data about how loads of people are digitally excluded, by which they mean they haven't got a fucking Scooby about digital stuff. Whereas Pierre's, I know this is just Alex little, but Pierre's seventy year old neighbours are still on WhatsApp. But that counts as some degree of digital literacy, doesn't it? I mean
1: I, I sort of view my parents as the average of what people are yeah. like at that age. And
0: your parents are in their 70s, I the My 70s, dad's seventy six, I'm, yeah. I'm
1: a little bit older. So um they've got they 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 took ages to get a broadband thing sorted out, admittedly as late adopters do, but they now have, I think their connection faster than ours is. Yeah. You know, they watch their TV through, like, streaming platforms. Oh, yeah, they get there.
3: Same. My mum like, has,
1: like, half book, a gig. They book hotels on, you know, they book hotels booking.com on, booking.com like, or whatever. Booking.com and yeah. stuff. So, in that, I bikes? think they're very typical of the... <laughs> Bruising around on bikes. So I, I... I don't... I mean, there's only so much hand-holding and nanny-stating you can well, do... Well,
3: exactly. Think, with this and it's you funny, because like, back so in... So back in... This is maybe a slight tension. In the 90s, like growing up in the 90s, I could see that a 70-year-old person in the 90s would struggle with computer stuff because that yeah. was very like very manual, let's say. Well, yeah. nowadays, it's, mm, it's an icon. Yeah, you yeah. Press so it, in the 90s, you, you had to... Code you had, almost.
0: Yeah, yeah you, but you certainly had to know how to, when a computer was freaking Switch out. CDs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think,
1: I think... It's easy, but I think in in fairness in that generation, and maybe we'll be like this in, you know, what well, Scott and I will in twenty five years' time or whatever. But I think things are gonna be easier it, and easier. Even, no code even type of thing. though it seems easy, it's mm. it it's it's almost a concept itself. Like my my grandmother always used to ask me the mm. question, What is the internet? Where is it? Mm. So I think it's quite yeah. a good question.
0: But she there's she, that episode of the IT crowd where the internet's in that box.
1: Yeah, well, she couldn't even get beyond <laughs> the idea
3: of using it just because she couldn't get that into yeah. her head. So she almost refused. To I have that with it. my dad. Well, Phil, like- Phil has this best anecdote. I can't. I can't remember who he was from his family or a friend or whatever, but somebody a bit older who said like, uh, "This is Phil. Yeah, he uh, he writes for the internet." <laughs> Right through the internet. internet.
0: Uh, just start, yeah, well, just start and start I have it sometimes. Like, like my dad's a, a really smart guy, but sometimes it's just confidence thing. Something yeah. will come up, and he'll just be like, "Oh fuck, I'm out of my depth on yeah. this sort of techie thing." And that's
1: why my sometimes my parents will ask me to sort stuff out for them. That that I think, why can't, why can you do that? But then I think, well, if I was that age, that generation, it's it is different. It's like yeah. I, I have this a little bit now, actually, with. um with with rafa my, my son with with some of the newer apps that are appearing like instagram and stuff like that it's because i yeah. don't use them well, TikTok. and then it's like if you did want to use them and, and it's like well how do you do this in the best way I can't like, oh, actually you,
3: I, when i you pick, do that you can you i can't can... get on with instagram I, I just yeah. i'm not inclined to when use i pick it. up an android phone i instantly become 80 years old yeah to, totally <laughs> that's the same that's the same <laughs> no, for real thing, like really? my wife is like can you turn off bluetooth i'm like uh right because exactly. you don't know where exactly. to find the I mean, settings i will find eventually
1: so my mum was like, she's got an Android phone. And she's like, I'm really confused about how I do this and how I, I put mm. the Wi-Fi on. And I was like, oh, I'll give it a go. but I. You, know, so you will find it
3: eventually, but it will take you yeah. uh, a while. And yeah. so I,
1: I can understand that it's, that it's difficult. And I think that, that those generations need to be supported to a okay. certain extent. But I think that's, that's so just those ridiculous. Are,
0: and other things that annoyed me about this. So, I mean, that apparent typo. And maybe I've missed something, but I don't think I have. I took screenshots of both because I, I sort of led with that fuck up. And I do think it's unlikely that a quarter of households don't have some kind of connection. Yeah, but you know, but it was there. I've got the screenshot and everything. Um, And then, and then there was other little bits of sleight of hand, like there there was this false dichotomy uh, of conflating digital exclusion, and and they saw well, the UK wants to be the centre of AI regulation, and yet digital exclusion. Well, I don't. That's a false dichotomy. of
1: AI regulation.
0: Yeah, and so th- they basically, they've got some stupid arbitrary ambition about being the place people look to for getting AI right. And, which, which is a weird fucking ambition by itself. It
1: is a really weird ambition. But, we need to divine
0: all the rules as to how this fuck works. News, fuck knows why, why they come up with this stuff. But then they're going, but how can we do that when some people are digitally shit? Yeah. Well, I, that's a false dichotomy. Yeah. I mean, you don't need the whole population to be a coder. No. for us to chase that anyway and, and like here's a quote there was some some woman the incredibly switched on sounding Baroness Stowell of Beeston
1: wow who, what brilliant name yeah who, who's Stowell the chair Beeston.
0: Baroness Stowell of Beeston
1: I just spell her first name so that's her surname
0: uh, is it Baroness yeah, Stowell S-T-O-W-E-L-L she hasn't got a first name she's just Baroness Okay, that's all you need What's to know, mate. Name? You're not posh enough oh, to know her fucking first name.
3: She's called
0: B. She's called B. She's probably called Dave. <laughs> anyway. Um, says, uh, yeah, I was assuming the gender, but she is called Baroness. I mean, that's fair enough, she isn't she
1: it? She gets to be called Dave these days, yeah, Scott. Yeah. Come
0: right. on. Um... And the quote is, the government has bold ambitions to make UK a technology superpower and centre of AI development, but we can't deliver an exciting digital future when 5 million workers are underskilled in digital, and nearly 2.5 million still can't complete How many... a single basic digital task.
1: Where do they get these numbers from? They well, just poke
0: quite... them out of their asses? <laughs> I think so. Well, exactly, because there's so many definitions. What does underskilled mean? Yeah. Um and and what is a single I mean they do if you go into the report it and typically these reports are quite comprehensive. So they they do list what these basic digital tasks are. But I don't know. It it just it just came over as, as a very sort of politicized and, and a not very useful thing. And typically a lot of the media were just like, Oh, it just shows that we've got a lot to do. Um Yeah. And well. um and anyway, so there's that. I'm going to cut that bit short because there's a few other little tangents I want to go on before we run out of time. Um, at the same time, Parliament came out with an update about this online safety bill, which I've banged on about loads of times on the pod before, which is basically, you know, as the name implies, it's, it's a law that's designed to protect vulnerable people from some of the bad shit on the internet, especially kids. And no one can fault, you know, if you're stopping little kids accidentally watching porn or even deliberately watching porn... I certainly won't thank me for saying it, but my son was younger he was certainly he certainly wasn't just stumbling across this shit yeah um but you know, you can't blame him. when you're a young kid, you're curious, aren't you, and, yeah. and the internet's weird it wasn't like when when we were kids where you know if you're lucky, one of you makes you get hold of a copy of razzle yeah exactly um so yes i i as a parent um and as a parent who's probably in some way failed in protecting his kids from this stuff when he was younger um I I agree that, I, you know I I can't push back on that. But what what worries me about this online safety bill is that the kid the concern about kids I think sometimes uses a battering ram for forcing through other stuff that involves just censoring adults and just protecting adults and adults don't need protection.
2: Yeah.
0: You know that's the point of being a fucking adult. You're supposed to look after yourself, aren't you? Yep. Um And so so the latest one's got further protections for children. But one thing that's contentious, this is an update to it, sorry, um, but one thing that's contentious within that is they're making the execs of internet platforms, the likes of um, Facebook, Google, etc., personally criminally liable if a kid spots some porn or something like that. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's precisely that. It could be something worse, like um, child exploitation material or something like that. Um, but I think it's contentious to make individual execs criminally liable yeah anyway what's what's going to happen as a result of it is they're not going to take any chances are they so they're just going to censor the fuck out of the internet because they don't want to be locked up i mean yeah 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 as i put it um they're going to err on the side of extreme censorship to avoid dawn raids from low-hanging fruit chasing coppers because we all know that there's anecdotal examples of police chasing people for saying something a little bit intemperate on Twitter rather than catching fucking burglars
1: and murderers. It's to do, it? Yeah, low-hanging fruit. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, my, that's what I mean by it. You don't have to get on this. You don't have to put your jogging trainers on and <laughs> yeah, all that stuff exactly. and actually run down the road don't after put put a car with a knife. It's much easier to get down. on to some bloke who goes, oh, you're all Nazis. <laughs> well, quite. Um,
0: and um, yeah, and You know, and then the other thing that was annoying about this update is that they didn't offer any clarity over stuff that I've ranted about before, which is this uh, deliberately nebulous and um, constantly changing definition of harm. So there's this one stipulation within this bill where they want to still make these execs of these big tech companies, these internet platforms, liable for, quote, legal but harmful stuff. How can there be a law... Yeah, that's absolutely that sanctions stuff that's legal. I mean, the whole point of a law is to make something illegal.
1: That's absolutely dark. Who's who? Yeah, is anybody scrutinising this stuff at all apart from you? Yeah, plenty of other people are. But that even got through—that someone actually wrote the word "legal" but harmful. I know it's fucking absurd and it's been around for years did the copy editor not go are you a bunch of numpties you've just written legal no laws,
0: i say i think it's far more sinister than that i think they deliberately draft these laws in this way because they want to basically smuggle in extra state power um without you know without <laughs> and and the problem is you know each time you know we were talking about like trial balloons earlier each time they come up with something you'll get me obviously with what little influence I have but you'll get bigger you'll get publications like Spectator or Spiked or something like that or people who've got a problem with it and perhaps some more prominent in, independent journalists talking about it and there'll be a lot of and, the, and you'll get people like um, Big Brother Watch yeah. and these civil liberties organisations huffing and puffing and then they all go quiet and then a couple of months later they push it through anyway once the hubbub has died down this seems to be how these things happen um, and then, and then there's the other thing within this um, uh, this online safety bill, which is to do with end-to-end encryption. So, like we we're talking about WhatsApp earlier, you know, when we all WhatsApp each other, no one can hack into that. I mean, you can still get leaks, like we had with uh, Matt Hancock and Isabel Oakeshott, where someone chooses to share all their stuff. Yeah. You know, and if I'm, we've got one little group just for the pod, just the three of us, and if I sent something, if I sent some particularly spicy joke. I am leaving myself open to one or both of you going to HR and going, look what this fucker's coming out with. Yeah. But I'm kind of counting on you not doing it. Yeah, but but other...
1: he, he he gave it to a journalist who's known for doing scoops. And, um, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, well, exactly. He gave it to I a mean, journalist. What an um, idiot.
0: But, but the point <laughs> is, the point is no one, if he hadn't done that, it, he broke the encryption by sharing it with someone else. Yeah. No one can hack into it. End-to-end encryption, not even WhatsApp, which is owned by Facebook or Meta, can hack into it. That's the whole point of end-to-end encryption. But what they're trying to do is, in the name of protecting children and catching, like, uh, you know, nasty, illegal um, imagery and, and material, um, we should be able to hack into people's messages. And and everyone's saying, Meta's saying it, Apple said it this week, they're saying you can't do that because you'll fuck up the whole encryption thing. You yeah. can't have backdoors into encryption by yeah. definition.
2: Yeah.
0: So that's the thing that's going on there. And then one other thing I wanted to bang on about I mean there's loads of th- actually there's two things I want to bang on about um, one is Ireland Ireland's getting very censorious
1: I, I always want to bang on about Ireland
0: yeah <laughs> I love Ireland but they're getting very censorious um, uh, there is um, they always have been haven't they I think yeah sometimes
1: yeah. previously it was religious they've gone through a little period of like not being so religious now, yeah, they now could, they've discovered the internet they, could
0: be, they can be quite authoritarian the Irish yeah. um they in, in some miscellaneous piece of legislation that covers all kinds of wide-reaching stuff. There was a bit of, there was a little clause put in. Basically, they, there's um, there's the uh, Irish Data Protection Commission, um, which sort of does roughly what you'd expect. They're, they're to do with data privacy and all that sort of thing. But the reason they're more important than just Ireland is that most of these piece, places, like these companies like Meta, have their European hub in Ireland. Right. I think primarily for tax reasons. Mm-hmm um and so it's the uh, D- the dubai isn't it of the yeah. Yeah, british isles <laughs> yeah the, the cayman islands or whatever <laughs> um and so that means that the irish data protection commission actually its activities affect the whole of the eu bloc yeah and um and they basically put in some other law that's unrelated to this and, and i'll quote it um this is a passage that i extracted from the law this clause they just inserted is to make provision this is the quote to make provision for enabling data protection commission to prohibit the disclosure of confidential information by persons engaging with it in connection with the performance of certain functions to issue a reprimand to a controller or process of certain circumstances So that's very legalese long and short of it
1: uh, snappy
0: is it not very snappy but legalese isn't long and short of it is they they want a law to say that Anyone who who complains to the data protection commission can then not disclose any of the subsequent interactions. In other words, anything that the data protection commission comes out with is, by definition, censored from right. the start. So that's quite authoritarian. And then Max Schrems, who who you might have heard of, he he had a case
1: that's, that's all to do Wasn't with that this bloke in Nosferatu. No. <laughs> <laughs> well could have been. He's the actor in Nosferatu. Uh,
0: but this this guy, I mean, I think he he has Look some legislation are. against yeah. uh uh no he's not he's not young Jamie. Um <laughs> Ooh, Um he has some legislation guy. against Facebook ages ago to do with data protection, which I think which I think kind of led to some of the GDPR stuff. He's he's a real trailblazer. Max and Shrek. He,
1: Max Shrek.
0: Right. He's Max Shrimps. Well Um and anyway, he's, he, he did a tweet saying, instead of reacting to legitimate criticism on Ireland DPC's procedures, the Irish government wants to make criticism of GDPR procedures in Ireland a crime by making confidential.
1: Does he look like that? Uh, right. No,
0: he doesn't look like that. Although I do remember that from Nosferatu. Um, so there was that in Ireland, which is quite technical and in the weeds. But then there's some... Even more full-on stuff going on there. They've got another bill, which is like equivalent to our online safety bill, and it's called the Criminal Justice, Brackets, Incitement to Violence or Hatred or Hate Offences, Close Mm -hmm. Bracket, Bill 2022. And basically, they again get into this hate as a nebulous concept. Um, And there's all sorts of problems with the term hate, partly because it gets into a a bigger issue to do with things like protected groups. Yeah. So, you know, so we're all... um, straight white men in this room. So we're not protected. We don't have any protected group status at all. And and we can understand historically why that's the case. The world, you could argue, has been run and dominated by maybe straight, but white men for for millennia. So So we understand the historical precedent, why we feel the need to redress the balance a little bit. But when you start applying it to law, where if something is done to you, it has one legal Status And if something is done to someone else who's in a protected group, either through race or sex or sexual preference or whatever, um, then it has a completely different legal status. It opens up this whole minefield. In fact, they've just had, this this is not a tangent I intend to go on and I won't keep it for long, but they've just had a Supreme Court ruling in the States about what they call affirmative action in colleges. So for a while, Harvard University seemed to be actively discriminating against people of... Um, Asian ethnicity, which in itself is a really fucking dodgy category because Asia Asia is a very big continent. Does that mean South Asian, like Indian, Pakistani, Sri Lankan? Does it mean East Asian? Uh, Does it mean Russian? Does it mean Indonesian? Does it mean Australian? You know, whatever. Um, um, because, Because in the States, they have a social engineering that they're trying to gear very much in favor of people of uh, sort of African-Caribbean ethnicity because they've got an understandable sense of historical guilt about slave slavery yep. and Jim Crow and all that kind of crap. Um, anyway, but there's been this su- Supreme Court thing saying that's out of order. You can't discriminate on grounds of race. And so, yeah, but steering it back, this is one of the problems with this thing that's going on in Ireland right now is they're coming up with hate and hate is defined in, 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 according to protected groups. There was... Um, and these same people that, that flagged up quite rightly the Irish Council for Civil Liberties that flagged up the previous thing about the Irish Data Protection Commission are completely 180. They, they completely got it wrong on this other um, law. And I've got a quote from an ICCL policy officer called Luna Lara Liboni, which is a brilliant great name. name. Yeah, that's an awesome name. that um,
1: something from a Harry Potter. For not.
0: alliteration alone. Um, and it said, and this is, quote, hate crimes are message crimes. I mean, what the fuck does that mean? Uh, one act can make an entire community feel excluded and unsafe. And she goes on, and I was like, it's hard to know where to start picking it. What is a message crime? What does I- excluded and unsafe mean? I mean, is is it the role of legislation to get involved in people feeling excluded? I know. You know, you and I spend most of the time talking. Pierre could feel excluded, but does the law need to back him up, or could he just bite in and go, oi, stop excluding me, you twats? Yeah. Um, and then I, I embedded this little video of, of the, you know, I, I, there's no way I think we could do it justice now, but there's this one MP in Ireland just talking about how the whole purpose of the law is to restrict liberties and to tell people what to do. And it's just so authoritarian anyway. So yeah, that's been sort of quite rambling and, and just me doing loads of talking, but I, I suppose the long and short of the point of all these things that I've sort of grouped together, the UK and the Irish one, um, uh, under the general um, banner of politics, is there? There's more and more legislation going on, which, as you quite rightly pointed out a minute ago, Ian, probably goes under the radar for nearly all people. That is actually going to have a massive impact on our civil liberties, at least in the digital environment. Yeah, people, because that's easier to police. Sorry, guys,
1: sort of oblivious to it. I think. All yeah. of This and uh, like you said, I think it's only those publications that you named, like um, Unheard, is it and. Yeah, they're another spiked, good one. Yeah, which are, I mean they have big. I know they have big readerships. Yep. Those two and Spectator particularly, but they're still not. They're not, it's not Philip Schofield, well, not Philip Schofield anymore, but it's not daytime TV chat yeah. people sort of putting it he in He picked the, a good one there. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's not, it's not those kinds of people um, raising
0: it. No, for it, most people, so they don't want to get into it. No. Sometimes I'll go on about this stuff someone else, like my wife, and their eyes will glaze over and it's like, fair enough. She doesn't have to find it interesting. Because I
1: don't think people see the implications of it down the road. That's the problem. Yeah. Or, think or maybe they, people, maybe yeah.
0: they care less. I mean, I, I have to... Except that part of my personality is that this stuff interests me
1: more well, than it does most they people. They care less now, but if it went the way it could go, they they wouldn't care less. Well, that's it. So that's we're sort of extrapolating it, aren't we?
0: Yeah, We're sort of trying to be the canaries in the coal mine, at least yeah. that's how I think of it.
1: That's why you've got to be quite careful about this stuff. if It does become legislative and, and mm. people all of a sudden... I mean, I've seen weird things going on on YouTube videos with guys, uh, some some guy doing a little sort of uh, speech about religion in the middle of a town square in some English town, and the police coming along and arresting him because, yeah, because on on a, on some kind of hate law because he's and it, and the bit that was shown on YouTube sounded all quite sort of normal anyway. it Didn't sound very inflammatory at all. But yeah, um,
0: I can see I can see my little LED of my camera flashing. Just I'm one just last thought. Out. Yeah, yeah. One last thought on what you said there. That that comes back to the protected group thing because I can I, I bet if he was talking about certain religion, they would have bollocked him. Yeah. Um, but anyway, let's not go down that rabbit hole now that's a good, good opportunity for me to cut myself short so the LED is flashing so we'll cut it short there um, and we'll say thanks a lot for watching and make sure you join us for the next one